0: Oh Hashem, the Yitzra arrived early today, so uh, hopefully he leaves early too. Uh Hashem, we'll do Shul Talk a little, few things about the uh, Mishnah. We're up to number eighty. Uh, Try to talk about some more relevant things that could help our day-to-day lives. there's some things that we can learn from the Parasha uh, and also from the uh, Mishnah uh, regarding marriage, regarding raising children. Uh, regarding the day-to-day stuff that all of us fight with, have difficulties with, and uh, Bezot Hashem, try to get a little bit of a better understanding uh, of uh, what is a Jewish life supposed to be like. Uh, there are many There's there's many Jews in the world, um, and uh, unfortunately, not everybody knows exactly what it means to be a Jew, what it means to to have a Jewish marriage. Uh, It's not just having a party for $200,000. You know, it's not just uh, eating kosher food. It's not just keeping Shabbat. Uh, It's not just having uh, kids as often as Hashem allows. Uh, There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, And uh, today, the statistics are so bad in the secular world, um, as far as marriages are concerned, that uh, I think that it's gotten to a point where it's more profitable to have a divorce court than there is a marriage court they should they probably have the two next door to each other people get married and say okay oh well, you want know already fill up the forms for a divorce you know for a few months from now uh, so with other some of the some of the main things that are um that people have as issues are easily fixable uh, if people are willing to swallow their pride so with other we'll do with wash lima uh Ifwashl Mate Yeshua, Mikhail Ben Hadassah, Daniel Yeshua Ben Abraham, Amparo Beloufe, Hershel Ben meyer uh, Sheba Bat Sara, uh, Magda, Nicole Valmana, Michelle Valmana, Emily Valmana, Patricia Monte- Montero, Yedarian Garcia, Ada Vasquez, Rubiera Bat- Guerrero, Melissa uh, Norato, Sarah Leah Bat Sara, Ruben Ben-Livka, Dalia Romero, Lindsay Misters, Gergana, Bat-Vladimir, Naomi uh, Bat-Sara, Aaron Yehuda Lieb, ben Gittel Filga, uh, Luis Vasquez, um, Levana Bat-Sara, Sarah Bat-Levana, Doris bat David Ben Nislia and B'hat all of Am Yisrael will have R'fash Limar the Nefesh the Guf. So, uh, like we said, the uh, amount of problems that I hear about on a daily basis continues to grow. Unfortunately, both the Jewish and non-Jewish world uh, is struggling. In many cases. With the same thing. Many people are having marriage problems. Many people are having problems with their children. Raising their kids. What school should we send them to? What, How should we educate them? Why should I stay married? Why should I get married? Um, should I listen to my father that doesn't want me to marry this girl? Should I listen to my mother who doesn't want me to marry this guy? There's these constant issues. Um, that... Uh, it seems like the small decisions in life, or at least seemed like small decisions, I mean technically decision is one second. Small decisions in life make a um, impact eternally, make an impact for the rest of your life. What is it like? Uh, it's like there it was one time a guy sitting in a, um, a big giant building for an electric company Hey told him, listen, you're the supervisor throughout the whole night. Just make sure nobody presses the buttons. This button over here controls the electricity for New York. This button over here controls the electricity for New Jersey. This button over here controls it for, you know, California, and so on and so forth. Each button is the whole state. So the guy, you know, after a few hours, he got a little bored. So he had a couple of drinks and uh, thought it was funny to just see what happens if he presses the button. So he pressed one of the buttons and nothing happened. You press pressed the New York button and nothing happened. It's like, ah, they're just fooling me. They're just fooling me. Within five minutes, the SWAT team comes in, ready to start shooting whoever's in front of them, trying to figure out, maybe it's a terrorist attack, what happened, how could it be? And I see this guy having a couple of shots, having a time of his life. I said, what happened? What's going on? I said, Nothing. What happened? Oh, you mean that button? You guys know about that button? You fool. Do you realize what happened? The electricity for all of New York has been shut down. I said, Oh, I guess I'll turn it on. Said, what do you mean you'll turn it on? Do you realize what happened in those five minutes that the electricity was on? Do you know how many people died because of that five minutes? The traffic lights didn't work, so people got into car accidents. The uh, hospitals didn't have uh, electricity, so people died. Uh, surgeries went bad. You know, countless, countless people died because you thought it's not a big deal. Because it's one small button. It's one small button. One small decision. One small joke. One small word. One small everything. You destroyed lives. How can you fix it? How can you undo it? When he shows up to the uh, judge, they're trying him for all the plagues in the uh, you know that happened to uh, to Egypt for murder, for this, for that, They're trying him forever. He goes, "Why? it was only one small button. The judge says, one small button? Look what kind of damage you did with one small button. So, it seems like the one thing that we think is not such a big deal, the one small button, is not really such a one small button. And this also applies in our life. Yaakov Avinu, in uh, this week's parasha. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. It says that after he left his parents' house, he left with a mission in mind. Didn't tell him, listen, Yaakov, why don't you go away, let your brother cool off, and why don't you go have a good time with your friends? Go away to India, like some of the Israeli soldiers do. They go to India after the army. Why don't you go to India, have some fun? With old Abu Dazara there. Go to... Taiwan, go to all these different places. Why don't you go have fun? They'd say that. What did they say? They said, Yaakov, you're 63 years old. You're 63 years old, Yaakov. You're not uh, 18 anymore. 63, you work, Bokhashan, learning to everything everything's good. It's time to get married, Yaakov. It's time to get married. Go find a nice girl from your mother's uh, family. So, Yaakov honors his parents, of course, and he leaves. But then on the way, instead of going directly to Lavan's house and fulfilling what his parents said, instead of going to Lavan's house, he goes to the yeshiva of Shem and He goes to the yeshiva, and he doesn't go to stop by, maybe I'll get some lunch, talk a few chidushim, give a shiur, stay there for a couple of days, and then continue on my journey. He doesn't do that. He stays there for 14 years. Fourteen years he goes to yeshiva. Fourteen years, fourteen years he didn't sleep on a bed. Fourteen years. So the mafachim ask a question: How could it be that Yaakov, kodesh kodesh,im, not listen to his parents? How could it be? They told him go get married, go find a girl. How is how? What it makes him think that going to learn fourteen? years worth of Torah is going to help him. Like, what are you doing? You're not listening to your parents. It's not like you're 18 years old, 14 years, ah. It's just a uh, little bit of time. 63, you're you're a senior citizen already. (laughs) No? Yaakov Avinu knew that 63 years he learned Torah was one level of Torah. But in order to survive, not only Lavan's house, but also to be a husband, he needed to learn a different level of Torah. He needed to work on something he's never worked on before. And he needed to go prepare himself for marriage. Which means that the 14 years of yeshiva was part of finding a wife was preparing himself was one of the one of the preparations of getting married in today's world people get married for all the wrong reasons they get married for money because everyone wants a free ride as we were talking before the year started everyone wants somebody to take care of them like they're all crippled and they're all blind and they're all deaf and they're all incapable no no I need somebody to take care of me when I'm old who knows if you're going to survive to be old Why are you getting married now? Forget about when you're old and dusty. Oh, fine. Now, why are you getting married now? You're 25 years old. Why are you getting married? You're 30 years old. Why are you getting married now? Forget about 50 years from now. Who knows if you're going to see 50 years? Everybody's convinced they're going to live to 120. Why are you getting married now to this person? Oh, he's nice. About what? What is he nice about? Oh, he takes me places. Okay, so if he didn't take you to places, he wouldn't be nice? Oh, he's funny. Oh, so so if maybe he lost all, if he used all of, all of his material, no more jokes, so, so you would divorce him? Because he's not funny anymore? Oh, he's religious. Oh, so if he just decided he doesn't want to go to B'knesset anymore, that's it. What makes, why you with him? Why are you with her? Oh, she's pretty. Oh, so if she lost an arm, so you going to leave her? Abandon her? In Gemara Masechet Shabbat says, the tzaddikim say, oh, you know, there was one Sadiq that lived. He had a wife with no arm; she was missing an arm, but his wife was so modest. His wife was so modest that he didn't know she didn't have an arm until she died. She was covered herself and so, and she protected herself and protected her beauty. And she made sure to follow all the halachot, even when they're together intimately. You know, you're know, you not supposed to do it in the middle of the day, and it's supposed to be dark. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not like the Shem uh, all the movies. <laughs> Intimacy has a place, and of course in Judaism as well, but there's times and a place, and there's certain ways to do certain things. Enjoy yourself, but there's a way to enjoy yourself. We're not uh, animals. says, so his wife was so modest... That he didn't even know she didn't have an arm Until she died She says, yeah, but just imagine how modest he is Oh, if she was modest, of course That's the number one mitzvah for a woman is to be modest But a man is not necessarily always modest It's not a given for a man to be modest It's not a given for a man to be modest with his eyes It's not a a given for a man to be modest with his mind It's not a given Look how modest he was. That he didn't even realize that his wife doesn't have an arm. So, if the wife doesn't have her beauty, because we all know beauty doesn't last, of course, there's certain levels of beauty. Beauty changes over time. But if you're expecting your 20 year old wife to look the same when she's 50, 60, and 70 years old, you have a problem. Life doesn't work that way. So if you're marrying her for beauty, are you going to get divorced? Should we start already putting the timer on of how many years before you get divorced? Why are you getting married? For what? If you're saying to have kids, you don't have to get married to have kids. You can adopt some. There's plenty of kids that want adoption. Oh, you want to have your own kid? You don't have to get married to have your own kid. Why get married? Married, again... Marriage and having kids are two different things. So what? Your wife is a baby oven. There's one guy I knew. He hated his wife. Hated her. This I mean, guy was terrible. They hated each other, but almost every other year they'd have a kid. For the first few years of marriage, I think they had five, six kids. And then they got divorced. And we'd always ask him. This is many years ago. It's almost twenty years ago. We'd always ask him. You guys always fighting. You're always yelling. You always hate each other. Why do you keep having kids? Because that's the point of marriage. I said, I hope not. Wife is just a baby oven. She makes babies. That's it. That's the point. Shem Eleichem. That's what Hashem created. The, the woman for is for that? That's her purpose in life? This is what you think? This is what you were taught? And that's where it struck. Like, hey. hey, hey. Don't tell me about what I was taught. That's when you strike the chord. Why? Because that's what they were taught. A simple, a simple thing changed his life. A simple thing changed her life. A simple thing can change our lives. And that's how we're taught. How we're taught. Yaakov Avinu was taught that Hashem is Everything. When he went to Levant's house and suffered there, and suffered, and he was cheated over a hundred times, he cheated him on money. He never complained once for all the years—twenty years—he was at Levant's house. He never complained once. How do we know? At the end of the parasha, when he's about to leave, he tells his wives, "And hey, listen, you know, your father cheated me a hundred times." Wait, they weren't there. Where were his wives? They were there. They know his father already from the beginning of the parasha. When he meets Rachel, she tells him, you know, my father's a criminal. Because I'll be like your father. I know how to deal with criminals. I know how to deal with criminals. Meaning, it's already a known thing when he asks the people of the town, is all well with Lavan? Like, oh, he's already asking too many questions about the number one gangster in town. Hmm. Well, All's well, all's well. Don't say his name. It's like, uh, don't say his name. He get shot. Don't say his name, were You're asking questions about the number one gangster in the world. Who are you? Were you cops? You're writing a story? It's funny, sometimes people like to ask questions. And you ask, what's the, what's the point of your question? What's your, why are you asking this question? You ever have those questions asked? People always ask me, how old are you? Whatever. How much money do you make? What, you writing a story? Yeah. you writing an article? What do you want to know all this information for? Where do you live? Why, are you coming to my house? Well, you can come visit, I didn't invite you. Why do you want to know where I live? Why do you want to know how much money I make? Why do you want to know how old I am? Well, you want to get married? I'm married already, I'm married, two kids. Where do your kids go to school? Why, you going to go visit them? Why, why do you want to know this information? People ask questions. Why do you want, to why are you asking all these questions? You ever get those questions? I always get the strangest questions. My wife, God bless her, people love to ask her questions. Ooh, when they meet her, she says, I don't want to leave the house anymore. They keep asking me questions, everybody. Quiet people love to ask questions, like they're all journalists. Why do you want all this information? What do you have? Where do you have? What car do you have? How old is the car? Do you own the house? Do you rent the house? Why? Are you my accountant? What do you care if I own the house or I rent the house? Wait, is it coming out of your pocket? Did I ask you to give me a social security check? What happened? What do you want for my life? Why do you care about all these questions? Do you rent? What do you care? No, I own. Oh you own this house, well how much did you buy it for? What you gonna buy it for me now for more, for less? What do you want to know this information for? People ask questions. Why? Nosy. Nosy, nosy people. Why? They have nothing to do. In here they have a brain. It's empty. There's nothing there. Nothing. They're bored. Bored with life. And they need something to talk about with their friends. Hey, yeah, he spoke to own, and he says he's renting the house. He's got two kids. His wife is this. They've been married for this many... He's got something to talk about with his friends because they also have nothing to talk about. <laughs> so now Yaakov yeah, go, I mean, Avinu goes to this new town and he says, oh, well, with this lavana. Oh, wait, well, well. everything. Shh, don't say his name. Don't say his name. Why are you asking so many questions? All as well as already too many questions. So right away... Yaakov arrives to town, he realizes Lavan is no joke, he's a criminal. He sees Lavan's daughter, Rachel, she says, gotta be careful with my uh, father, he's a criminal. He goes, no, no, I know how to deal, if he's criminal, I'll, I'll be a criminal. Meaning, I know how to deal with people like him. I'll be like his brother. So he says, I'll be like his brother. Brothers in crime, meaning, if he can fool, I can fool. No problem. You can't fool me. Which means that already before the 20 year journey that he has with Lavana Rasha, he knows who he's dealing with. His daughter knows who he's dealing with. Everyone knows who he's dealing with. So why is it at the end of the parasha he says to both of his wives, you know your father cheated me a hundred times. He stole money from me, changed the deal, changed this, changed this, changed. He kept changing the deal. Your father's a cheat. But Hashem didn't allow him to cheat me. It didn't allow him to succeed. So what, they didn't know? The answer is, Rabotai, no, they didn't know. Yaakov Avinu was so holy that despite being cheated, despite being lied to, despite suffering day and night, he never put one bad word against Lavan of Lashon even though it's true. Because he you knew that whatever is happening, Hashem's signing off on it. If Lavan is being allowed to cheat him, that's because Hashem pressed the button, go. And he says, and Hashem did not allow his cheat to work. Meaning, he tried to cheat, but Hashem didn't allow it to work. Why didn't he allow it to work? Because I believe that Hashem's going to save me. So now, Yaakov, where did he, find, where did he learn this? There's no khumash yet. Where did he learn this from? He learned this in the of Shem and evil. He learned this with his father, Yitzchak. He learned this with his grandfather. He learned this with his mother. He learned this his whole life. It's not that he just discovered. It wasn't a chidush, finally after 20. Happy be a chidush. You have to be quiet when someone's cheating you, lying to you, and hurting you in every single way, shape or form. For 20 years you have to be quiet. We can't be quiet for 20 seconds. Somebody lies, I'm publicizing it. I'm telling everybody you're a liar. I'm telling the rabbi, I'm telling the kila. I'm telling the community. Five seconds, somebody cheated. I haven't cheated you yet. Hold on, relax. I'll give you the money back. Here's the money. Be quiet. Sh- as soon as somebody wants to lie to us, cheat us, do something, I want to publicize it. I'm a liar. I want to do this. Ah, ooh, ah. Okay, not okay, be quiet. Here, here. Sh- be quiet just here. Yaakov Avinu. Quiet mouse 20 years why? Emunah in Hashem Emunah in Hashem where did he get this Emunah? where did he buy it from? where did he get it from? how come we don't have it? that has to do with this Mishnah Mishnah that we learned today is extraordinary not necessarily only because of what it says because of who is saying it who is saying it the last several Shulim, we've mentioned the uh, name we've mentioned the name uh, uh, Rabbi Mirbalaness we mentioned that his rabbi was Elisha Benavuya aka Acher and this is a Mishnah from Elisha ben Avuya. So Elisha ben Avuya says, "Alomed yeled lema'odome, ledyo ktuvah niyah hadash, va'alomed zakken lema'odome, ledyo ktuvah machuk." So Elisha ben Avuya says, "One who studies Torah while he's still a child, to what is he like and what is he like?" To ink on fresh, clean paper. And one who studies Torah, when he's an old man, once he's an old man, what is he liking to? To ink written on smudged paper. So first and foremost, we see that this in this Mishnah, we're meeting Elisha ben Avuya, but over here they're calling him Elisha ben Avuya, and not the new name that he got later on in his life, after he went off to Derech, and he got a new name coined Achel. So as we've done already in the past, let's continue with finding out who is this Alicia ben Avuya, why should we listen to him, why should we not? I mean, in essence, you're talking about someone that the Torah says you're not allowed to learn from him. I told Rabbi Meir, I told everybody else not allowed to learn from him. But here, here we are, it's part of the Mishnah, we're obligated to learn this. This is before he went off the Derech. So who is he? So Elisha ben Avuya, the Torah says, in the Gemara Masechet Chaiga, page 15, also in Yerushalmi, Chaiga uh, as well, Perik Sheni, the second Perik, Alachah uh, 1, and a few other places, talks about his story, story, It actually says, he's a third generation Tana, that went off the, of the derech, that went off, of that became a heretic, a heretic. How could it be? How can someone become a heretic? I mean, this is not someone that went to yeshiva for a few years, didn't like it, asked his rabbi a couple of questions, rabbi didn't have answers, and he got off the derech. It's not that. There's a uh, story about Rav Mibrisk. Rav Mibrisk one day saw that one of the guys that went off the derech, that became secular was in his yeshiva and then he left. A few months passed, he sees him in the street on Shabbat smoking a cigarette. And he says, Shabbat Shalom. But, oh, you know, the guy was a little embarrassed, threw out the cigarette. Oh yeah, Kwadalov, how are you? How are you? Goes, I'm fine, how are you? How are you doing? Why don't you come join us in your yeshiva? Ah oh, no, Kvod Rav, you know, it wasn't for me. Because for so many years you're in a yeshiva, all of a sudden it wasn't for you? What happened? So just, uh, listen, Kvod I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions and there was no answers. So I knew it wasn't for me. So Rabbi Brisk said, you didn't have a lot of questions. You had a lot of excuses. Because you know that if you had a lot of questions... I was right there for you to ask. And not once did you come to me and ask me those questions. You didn't ask me questions. If you had questions, who's God, where is God, all the whatever questions, philosophical questions you have, this question, that question, and not questions, bitachon questions, questions, science questions, any question you have. If you had questions, why not one time did you come to me and ask me the questions? Because you didn't have questions. You had excuses and you were looking to use those excuses to justify your sins. You wanted to sin. You wanted to smoke on Shabbat. You wanted to go out with the goya. You wanted to eat chazil. You wanted to do whatever you want. Now you know the truth. You know what Moshe Rabbeinu gave us Torah. You know Moshe Rabbeinu said you don't have to do those things. But he said, listen, how could I do those things knowing that it's wrong? So let me find a hole in the system. Oh, you know what? You know what? It says, on one end it says... One thing in this pasuk, and it says a different pasuk, something else. It says, Tavlam uh, Avinu, uh, Hashem told them the descendants are going to be in Egypt for 430 years. But then later on, it says in Exodus, they were there for 400 years. But then if you do the math, they were really there for 210 years. So there's confusion. Oh, there's questions. There's too many questions. The whole thing is pasul. The whole thing is cancelled. No, nothing is cancelled. Just look at the, what the commentaries, how they explain it. See, it makes perfect sense why Hashem said it in one way, why He said it the second way, why He said it the third way. Everything has an explanation. Everything. And the handful of things that don't have an explanation in the entire Torah, we're talking about millions and millions of pages for the Torah, written Torah and so on. All the Torah doesn't have the few things that don't have explanations. You're not going to ask anyway. Why? You're not at that level to ask those questions. You're not on the level. You're not on the level to care about those questions. I'll give you an example. Para aduma. Do you understand the concept of Para Aduma? Para Aduma, what you gotta do, you have to make sure there's perfect cow, perfectly red cow. If there's two hairs that are not red, it's Psula. She's not good. Now let's ask a question here. How many hairs does a Para have, does a cow have? Oh, millions of hairs, millions of hairs. Imagine somebody comes to you and tells you, "Listen, I wanted to marry your daughter. Beautiful, nice. You guys are rich. Everything is great. Baruch Hashem, wonderful. Everything is great. But I heard, I heard, I didn't even see. I heard that your daughter has two gray hairs. So the shiduch is off. The shiduch is off. Your daughter has two gray hairs on her arm, on her, on her finger, on her foot, or somewhere." I'm off, the shiduch is off. Two, two gray hairs. What do you do? You throw this guy out with uh, head first. What's wrong with this person? First of all, what's the big deal? Two hairs. Second of all, pluck them out. Just take them out. You could take them out. Take a little thing, take them out. What's the big deal? Or, if you want to keep them in to be complete, dye them. There's so many different fixes. Allah says, if the cow out of the millions and millions of hairs that it has, has two hairs that are now red, cannot be used. On top of it, if it ever carried any weight on its back, cannot be used. On top of it, after let's you finally found one, finally you found one, we're talking about Almost 2,000 years we haven't had a red cow. 2,000 years we haven't had a red cow. 2,000 years we haven't had a red cow. We have two now. 2,000 years we couldn't find one red cow. Imagine how difficult it is to find a red cow. There's millions of cows in the world. You know how many, there's different farms, this farm, that farm, this farm, people want to breed red cows. You haven't had a red cow in 2,000 years, how much it's worth now you have two. Imagine somebody says, hey, by the way, the two that we have, they both have gray hairs. They both have black hairs. The owner, if I was the, I'd shoot the guy. <laughs> Do you know how much you just cost me? Each one was worth $10 billion. They're looking for these cows for 2,000 years. You just ruined them? Pluck the hairs out. you, just, you know how much you just cost me? Each cow is worth $10 billion. They're looking for them for 2,000 years. You and your big mouth with your big questions. Why are you asking if she has any, any, any other hairs? Why are you asking so many questions? Are you Are writing a story about the cow? It's all the questions that's the problem. People ask so many questions. Why are you looking at the cow? Why are you looking for a hair? What's your business with the cow? Oh, no, no, I saw already. Right. Ruin the cow. Just take the hair out. What's the big deal? Finally, you found the cow. So now you have to take, you slaughter the cow. Fine, you slaughter the cow. Al Hashem, you got to the slaughter. You used the holy water of the Bet Mikdash. Fine, you got the water of Al Hashem. Everything went good. You purified Kohen Gadol, purified the people that had impurity, which is pretty much all of us because we've all been to. A cemetery or we've known someone that has, uh, you know, touched someone else that was dead and so on and so forth. Everyone is impure. So everyone needs to be purified. How do you get purified? Koen doll sprinkles a little water on you. That's it. Like, you know, it's not even like fun. It's not even like fun, like it's a water party, like when you're a little kid with the guns and everybody gets, you know, water everywhere and you're running around the grass like a little kid. No, it's not even fun. You're waiting for this for two thousand years. At least you want it to be a little fun, hey? Let's have water party, balloons, something. No, tick tick. You're fixed. finished. Finished. Not even. You don't even get like a u baruch. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing happens. Okay, so maybe you figure. You know what? The queen gadol. This queen, a regular queen, regular queen has a very important job. He's got millions of Jews to purify so he must be a very special person must be a very special person so he must be purer than all of us what do you find out? you find out at the end of the day that after he sprinkled however many people he fit he sprinkled 10 million people you know how kind of job it is to sprinkle so many people? Did you ever sprinkle that many people? just throwing a water, a water a balloon makes you tired this guy sprinkled people all, the choot, 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 all day. Finally he finished the day. You know how tired he is? You figure this guy is Kodesh Kodeshim. What did he say? Hey by the way, Kohen, you're not pure now. The Kohen that purified everyone else, he's not pure now. Why? Because he touched the red cow. He sprinkled everyone else, he purified everyone else, and by purifying everyone else, he's not pure. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Can you explain this? No. There's no way to explain it. This is one of the few things in the Torah that Shlomo Amelech, I love her, Shalom says, Red cow, beyond me. I don't understand. But this is not a question that before you go to sleep, you ask yourself. Any one of you, before you went to sleep, you say, Oh, you know what? The red cow is bothering me so much. Hashem, come to me in a dream. Send Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, somebody. Send somebody in a dream. Send Shlomo melech from Ganede to finally understands the red cow. He's in Allahabar right now. No, you probably know the answer by now. You're not still asking. Hashem, send me Shlomo Amelach. I can't sleep all night. So I'm going to sleep just for you to send Shlomo Amelach, so I can have the answer. I can tell you I have a whole Shlomo Torah. This is why we have the red cow. No one went to sleep like that. No one cares. No one asked this question. No one asked this question. Who asked this question? So the few questions we don't have answers for, we don't really care about the answers because we're not glued to Hashem like we're supposed to be. We're not glued to Hashem like Shlomo Amelach was. That he's even thinking about the red cow. Meaning, that the Rabbi Brisk is saying, if you had any questions, you had emunah questions, bitachon questions, science questions, any question you had, you could have come to me. You didn't come. That means you didn't have questions. You had excuses. You had excuses to justify your behavior. And you know that as soon as you come to me, I'm going to destroy all your excuses. You wanted to be a sinner? You made excuses in your head. You let the Yetzara already take over. So, people always ask, how could it be that someone that's religious goes up the derech? Now in the Gemara, in Masechet Brachot, it says that there's actually a subya, there's a, a whole uh, complication here. So is it possible for someone that's holy, someone that comes, that's, his nature is good, learns Torah, mitzvot, everything is good. Is it possible for such a person to go bad? They say, well look, you had a few people. You had Yannai, Yanai Was it Kohen? Or Yohanan? They say it's the same one, it's the same person. And the Gemara in uh, Brachot, page 29a, says, is it, is it possible for a righteous man to turn away from his righteousness and to become corrupt? Is that even possible? I mean, if he's righteous, how can he just change all of a sudden? Why, you watch TV and that's it, that ruined everything? I mean, the guy was righteous for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. He watched TV. And you know, one time that's said everything went bad? Is that really possible? Now I know everybody in your mind right now, you say, yeah, of course it's possible. I saw it happen. I heard about it happen. But wait, hold on a second. It says, don't believe it. It's not the case. Now you're going to use the example of Yochanan. Yochanan was a Kohen Gadol. Not only a Kohen, he was a Kohen Gadol, the head of the Kohanim. For how long? For 80 years. That means that he had to survive Kodesh Kodeshim. He had to go in Yom Kippur for a few minutes in Kodesh Kodeshim with a pure thought, a pure mind. To save the people. For 80 years. And after 80 years, not only did he Go against. He became a heretic. He became a Sadducee. From Kohen Gadol to Sadducee. The worst, of, the worst of them. Like literally one degree on the Christian. No, they're Avodah Zarah. Sadducees were heretics. It's a different level. So how could it be? Abayah says, Yohanan didn't just go off the derech. Yochanan was off the derech the whole time. Meaning Yohanan is really Yanai. Yanai was a Rasha that massacred many sages because they questioned whether he had the ability to be a Kohen Gadol. He murdered many of them. It says so it's not that he became a Rasha. He was a Rasha the whole time. Contained it for a while. Another example they use is Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya it right. Put it behind you. Elisha ben Avuya they say Elisha ben Avuya I mean his student his student is Rabbi Mir Balanes. I mean imagine knowing somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody to touch the hand of Rabbi Mir Balanes someone goes to a grave they tell everyone the story oh I went to the grave and I prayed at the grave but he's not there the grave is there but he's not there I prayed at the grave will be me and I put the candle and they tell you the story for how many for the rest of their life they're gonna tell you the story I went to the grave I'll be me start touching their eyes all these different things I went to the they didn't talk to him they just went to the grave and they're so proud of it they're so excited it's so amazing bow hashem hashem had so many miracles happen because of' be well, but you didn't know Rabbi Meir. Imagine being his teacher. Do you understand what's happening? This is his teacher. How could his teacher? I mean, if he's Rabbi Meir is so good, his teacher is even greater. His teacher went off the derech. His teacher went off the derech, rabotai. How could it be? So the Gemara explains the following. It says that. Elisha ben Avuya did not come from a secular house. Elisha ben Avuya came from a house where his father was a Talmid Chacham. Some actually say he was the one of Gdole Now, today, anyone that's old is considered G'dolei already. The, G'dol, the term Gdolador is thrown around like his bubblegum. There really are a few Gdolado, but everyone that likes a certain rabbi of like, Oh, he's Gdolado. How old is he? He's 35. He's not Gdolado. I'm sorry. He's 35 years old. He's not Gdolado yet. He has to be. Let, let him beat Sadiq like he is right now and even more for the next 67 years, and then we'll talk about Gdolado. Not necessarily that Gdolado requires a certain age, but I mean, he still doesn't have enough experience at that age. No, but he knows everything. Everything, everything, everything he knows. Do you know what everything is in order to know if he knows everything? Oh, but he knows the things by heart. He knows the whole Mishnah by heart. He knows the whole Gmah by heart. Oh, you checked them? You checked them line by line? Oh, he knows a few verses by heart. He knows a few Gmahot by heart. I know verses by heart. Does that mean I'm Gdol of anything? No. Just know you know by heart a few times. Big deal. Time, study, whatever. But the point is so what? It doesn't make you Gdola do? What is Gdola do? Gdolado doesn't mean you have knowledge. Of course, that's a prerequisite. G'dol do means that you've become one with the Torah. It's not just knowledge. Knowledge is plenty of people that have knowledge. Plenty of people that have knowledge. G'dol means that you've actually become one with the Torah. You're applying everything you know. You no longer have your own personal opinion, your own personal desires. You're thinking... What's in the Torah? What is Hashem's will? What is good for the nation? Not what's good for me, how much money I'm going to make, how many donations I'm going to get. None of that stuff. That's not even part of the accounting. One of the amazing stories that they tell about Rabu Radia, Alava Shalom, is that one of the big Roshi Shivot that's been around for many decades says that, you know, when Rav was very young, before he became the famous Rav he would go for every single day. He would, there was, wasn't many people with cars. One of his friends in the community in Yerushalayim had a car. He says, "Okay, come on, take me for uh, take me for a ride. Let's go. Oh, where are we going? Where are we going? We're going to different Kalot outside of Yerushalayim. What kelimot are we going? To? They invite us. They know us. Anything? No. We're going anywhere. There's Jews. We're gonna go there." And he'd go there, he'd go to these d- different Batei anywhere uh, there's, there's Jews, he'd go, he'd come in, pray Mincha with them, and then after Mincha, they don't know him. Now he's not the famous Rebbe that everyone has a picture on the wall of. No one knows who this guy is. He goes to the podium in a bit Knesset, with all the confidence in the world, he says, I have a few things to say. Who are you? What do you want? You know, Israelis, they don't have much patience for uh, some stranger. You have something to say. They're not uh, ones for questions, by the way. The American uh, the American way of asking 500 questions as a way of introduction doesn't fly in Israel. You start asking questions in Israel, they'll put a gun to your head. Don't ask questions. What do you want? Were you a terrorist? Why do you want to know so many questions? Why do you have so many questions? You know, I'm telling them, that's serious. You go to Israel, you start asking people questions like, what, are you writing a story? Are you the cops? Who are you? Why are you asking so many questions? It's a very American thing, this question thing. People, you meet them, how old are you? How much do money do you make? Where do you work? Where do you live? On what floor? When do you throw out the garbage? When does the sanitation company pick it up? Like, what are you? I so many questions. So many questions people have about nothing. In Israel, doesn't fly. So if you go to Israel on vacation or to move there, remember... You learn in a shield, no questions. Hello, hello. Sometimes hello they don't even say. It's very different. They're very different in Israel. No, seriously. You go to Yerushalayim, no one says hello. You say, I actually, when I went to visit there, for, you know, many, many years I wasn't, wasn't there, I went to visit, friend, went to Yerushalayim. And you know, I'm American. I'm 30 years already in America. After 30 years being in America, you become American. So whatever, our nature is to say hello. You see somebody, especially a religious Jew, I'm excited. Like, ah, hello, you know, in America, you don't always see religious Jews. You see people. In Israel, you see oh, religious really talks Shabbat Shalom. They look at me like, like I'm looking at myself like, what happened? What? So I think, okay, maybe I had something in my nose, maybe something in my hair, maybe my eyes falling. I don't know what happened. So I passed, do, 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 we keep walking. My wife is next to me. Another couple pass Shabbat Shalom. They're looking at me like, every time I see Shabbat Shalom, it's like I just scared them. Like why am I saying Shabbat Shalom? Who are you? And I don't understand. I don't understand what happened. And Robert Fraym is like laughing a little bit on the side, like quietly. I'm like, what's wrong? How come they don't like? Why? How come they don't say hello? How come they don't say Shabbat Shalom? He goes, no, it's, it's, people are very private here. They <laughs> are very private here. They're not used to just some stranger saying hello and Shabbat Shalom. Like, eh, you know, some people are very friendly, but that's usually the Americans. That's usually the Americans. They're very friendly. Israelis, not so, you know, whatever. It's like, I'm like, why? It's not a nice thing. Say Shabbat Shalom, say hello. It's like, yeah, it's nice, but usually they think you want something. Why are you saying hello? What do you want? What do you want? Why are you saying hello? Who are you? Why are you saying hello to me? It's very different. It's a very different climate, very different culture. So, <laughs> that was a shock to me. It bothered me a lot. It still bothers me. People don't say hello. Very strange. To us, it's strange. To us to them, we're strange. But anyway, the, uh, well, I forgot the story I was saying. So Elisha ben Avuya, his father, was one of the G'dolei do oh, I'm sorry, the uh, story with Rav Vadya. So Rav Vadya was a, uh, told his friend, who, come on, take me out, Rabotai, a few things to say, like who is this guy? Some people made fun of him, some people walked out, some people said, no, okay, you have a few minutes. And what did he start talking about? For the next 15 minutes, he starts talking about how it's necessary for everyone to sign up their children to yeshivot. What yeshivot? is available. What's available at that time? There's no Sephardic yeshivot. There's only Ashkenazi at this time. Meaning, it's not even his yeshiva. He's not signing him up for Is yeshiva, so at least he's making money out of it maybe. His his yeshiva, maybe eventually they're going to don't. No! Just sign your kids up to yeshivot. Why? That's what we have to do. That's what Hashem said. And every single night, he starts signing people up. And some people say, okay, a few people would go into it. go, okay, fine. Okay, I'll I'll sign my kid up tomorrow. No, no, no. Sign him up right now. I brought the paperwork. I brought the paperwork. Let me sign you up. And he starts signing or filling up the paperwork with them. For free. Nothing. He's not getting anything out of it. Other than saving Am Yisrael. That's G'dol Adol. The G'dol Adol that everyone knows. Oh, he wrote books. He wrote tea, he did th-. No, That's the stuff that you see after. What made him G'dol Adol was caring about Am Yisrael. So, one of the big Mashkihim of the yeshivot said that, you know, most of the, really, the older... Crowd of religious Jews, both most people think that Rabavadya affected only the Sephardic world. The reality of it is that in his day, when he was going from place to place, most of the Ashkenazis came from Rabavadya also. Most of the Ashkenazi kids that went to Yeshiva was because of Rabavadya also. That's Gdolado. Gdolado is when you care about the people, not yourself, not your self-interest. So it says that Elisha ben Avuya, his father was Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya. Ben Avuya means son of Avuya. So his father's name was Avuya. Ravuya Avuya was one of the Gdoleado. And it says that when Elisha was born, <coughs> he had a Break Mila party. And he because he was a Noah, wealthy. Chacham, not only was the chacham, he was also very wealthy. He invited all of the big sages to Yerushalayim, and two of the sages was Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Joshua Now, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Joshua came to the uh, Brit Milah, and after they had the circumcision and and, and, and all the uh, the uh, different things, like they said to each other, "Okay, let them deal with theirs, whatever it is that occupies them. Let us deal with ours." Meaning, let's learn Torah. So they sat down and they started learning Torah. They started with, most people saying, Kabbalah. No. Start with Chumash. Start Chumash. Start learning Chumash. Bereshit, bara Elokim, et Hashamayim, Start learning Chumash. People think, no, Chumash is for 5th graders. No, no, no. Chumash is Torah. It's the highest level of Torah. People immediately, they start... Learning three months later, when can I start learning Zohar? Learn Chumaz first. Learn what it means. Learn some commentary. Understand what God said. You want to learn Zohar. Why? Because they think it's better, it's more mystical. You're going to start flying a few months later. We're going to actually learn from Elisha ben Avuya the danger of going too fast. They started learning Chumash. Then after that, they went to Nevi'im. They went to the Tanakh. They started learning Prophets. Then after that, they started learning Tuvim. Started learning of uh, the, the writings. Psalms, so on. And they started learning to such an extent of holiness that they started a fire around them. A holy fire started being lit around them. Lamash, a mash of fire. Not like an imaginary fire. Oh wow, well, it's really cool. No, no, like a real fire, but a fire is not burning anything. So initially Avuya came like, Wait, you're burning my house? Like, no, no, don't worry, this is a fire of Torah. Mm-hmm. And Avuya says, If this is what Torah gets, I'm now committing my son. To a life of Torah. So now the Mefalshim ask a question here. Avoyah was G'dol What? He just discovered the benefits of Torah? I mean he obviously knew Torah has many benefits. Well, he saw fire and now, oh, now I'm going to... Why didn't he commit his son to Torah? Before that, he was born already. Tell him, okay, I'm committing my son to Torah. Why is it that he, after he saw the fire, he committed his son to Torah? So Rav Shach Allah Vashalom, says an amazing chidush. Such an amazing chidush that I think if someone really can understand the significance of this chidush, they can understand this in Mishnah. If you don't understand this chidush, you're not going to understand anything I say after this. And the chidush is relatively simple. As a side note, Gemara says in Muit Katan, one of the Ravchia uh, says uh, to people, he was a quen. says, whoever can give me a chidush, I'll give him part of the offering he got as a, as a quen. He had a huge piece of meat. I'll give him this, one of the pieces of meat. Worth a few thousand dollars. Somebody gave him a chidush. says, if you have another chidush, I'll give you the other piece of meat. Gave him another chidush, and he says. You know, the chidush. I told you, I actually learned it from your rav. He goes, the fact that you learned it from my rav is worth bo- bo- uh, worth more than the first two chidushim that you gave me. Here we see the value of a chidush. So Rav Shach says the following: Of course, Avuya knew. Of course, Avuya knew the value, the value of Torah. You have. The Masoret, you learn mitzvot, you fulfill the will of Hashem, and so on and so forth. But the problem here is that he didn't commit his son to a life of Torah for the sake of Torah. He committed his son to Torah because he saw the material benefits out of it. He saw that when you learn Torah and you get to such a high level like Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua, you could have such fire, such kavod, both from Shamaim and Aretz. People look at you, look at this. Just thinking about a fire, we're already giving them kavod. Imagine seeing the fire. How much kavod they got. Maybe they can make money out of it. He's thinking about all the material benefits of this Torah. He says that ruined everything even though he knew Torah was beneficial. He wasn't looking for the right benefit. If you're going to go learn Torah for material benefit, it's a Torah that's a Baal Mum. It's a Torah that has a defect in it. It's a Torah that has a defect in it. We learned Mishnah in Avot a few months ago in Avot 3.11 it says rabbi haninam ben Dosa says anyone whose fear of sin anyone who's fear of sin is more important takes precedence over his wisdom his wisdom will endure but anyone whose wisdom takes precedence over his fear of sin his wisdom will not endure. Meaning anyone that's learning Torah, but he's not learning Torah really to do it. He's learning Torah for different material benefits. He's not learning Torah to get glued to Hashem, to be devukle Hashem, to be much glued to Hashem, to get to a point where he's developing his jirat shamaim. He doesn't want to sin against Hashem, both because he fears Him and he loves Him, and so on and so forth. He says whatever wisdom he has, which means Torah... It won't endure. Eventually, it's going to fall. Eventually, it's going to be tainted. Eventually, we're going to see right through it. It's not good quality wisdom. It's not good quality Torah. This Torah is not from Shamayim. It's Torah that he learned it like a history book. He learned it for his own ego. He learned it to just tell people what to do. He didn't learn it for the sake of Hashem. He didn't learn it because Hashem said so. So Avuya had a son, and he wanted his son to become gedoladol, but not because that would fulfill the will of Hashem. Because he wanted the kavod, he wanted the honor that comes with being gedoladol. He wanted the money that comes with being Adol. Ado. So later on, Elisha got to a point where he became a big chacham. And there's a few different things that happened in his life, the same different gemarot, that uh, some people say was the turning point that made him, turn him into a kufil. And he got to a high level of Torah. This is not like an ish Pashu, it's not a simple person here. He got to the almost highest level of Torah, where the in masichet chagiga says there was four people that got to a point of being able to learn enough to go and learn the mystical aspects of Torah, Kabbalah. And they went, to, they all, all four of them went to something called a Pardes. Pardes is something mystical, it's in Shamayim, it's not in this world, it's like an out of body experience. Nashama comes out of the body and goes somewhere else. Understanding it, you're not going to, but just try to at least. I don't understand and I'm telling you the story. <laughs> Seriously, we don't understand the concept of what it means to be Pardes. We're still not figuring out what, why the two hairs on the cow don't matter. You want to understand Pardes, but it says in the Gemara, we went over this Gemara, Baruch Hashem, says Pardes. Okay, so they went to Pardes. Fine. It says, Ben Azai was one of the Chachamim, et tzitzvimit. He glanced he went to the Pardes, he saw the Divine Spirit. He saw something that represents Hashem. Something not from this world. He fell in love with it and gave up his life. He says, I don't want to go back to the regular world. It's not worth it. He enjoyed it so much. He enjoyed the Shechina so much. He says, I can't, have, I can't leave. I can't leave. So I not honest with you if I was him I'd also not come back even without the Shekhinah just it's, you already have a place in Ganesan why are you why are you wasting your time here <laughs> that was Ben <Benazai. coughs> the <coughs> Ben Zoma oh no so the the uh, Another Chacham went there and went a little cuckoo. He uh, lost it. Lost his mind. Couldn't handle the difference between the worlds. Never the same. Rabbi Akiva went up there and improved as a result. Elisha ben Avuya went up there and shortly after became a kufil, became a heretic. So now, how is this possible for someone to go up to heaven, to go up to Shemaim, and go against the Hashem at the same time? How could it be? It doesn't make any sense. So this is First and foremost, one of the reasons why the Chachamim say that not everyone is allowed to study certain aspects of the Torah. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. The vast majority of people should never even touch or talk about some of the mystical aspects of Torah. So for example, the Zohar, which is very popular, people love the Zohar, and different parts of it, like the Kabbalah. People think that they're studying the Zohar, there's uh, translations of certain parts of the Zohar to English and other languages, or there's so-called Kabbalah centers. First and foremost, you should know that if you're going to a Kabbalah center, they're not teaching you Kabbalah. They're teaching you whatever makes sense in their own mind. It has nothing to do with Kabbalah. It's just little trinkets of things they heard in certain books. It has nothing to do with Kabbalah. Second thing is is that the translations if it's a legitimate translation of the Zohar or parts of the Zohar You shouldn't touch it. And the reason why Is because certain parts of the Zohar Are things that are beyond us meaning that it mentions specific names of angels the angels are not us Angels are not like us What do I mean? angels are Kanaim. They're very zealous for Hashem. So when you mention their name, they they come, they arrive. Now, if you mention their name, and they arrive, and they see that you're not worthy of saying their name, forget about you're not worthy of serving, you're not serving Hashem right, you're not doing the right thing. If you're not a pure person, they can take revenge against you, and torture you, and potentially kill you. And people are learning Zohar, like, oh, I learn Zohar every day. And then they tell me, yeah, I have so many problems in my life, I don't know why. I got a flat tire on Tuesday, got into a car crash on Wednesday, I broke my hand on Thursday, and like, yeah, you probably by Friday, you won't survive, if you don't stop. People ask, oh, they tell me, oh, but I learn Zohar every day. Like, you shouldn't be learning Zohar. So, is, and that's not just the Zohr. There's other aspects of the Torah that are also very mystical. And the reason why people are very attracted to the Zohr is because it seems like it's very far away, it's very mystical, and you could like, I don't know, fool the system somehow and all of it, overnight become a tzaddik, overnight become successful. It's all nonsense. It doesn't work that way. So there's certain aspects of the Torah that are not for everyone. There's certain aspects of the Torah that you just simply should not study because you won't understand it anyway, and you're just wasting your time. And the reality of it is that you have to ask yourself, what's the point of your studying? If you're studying is to get some type of magic trick, you're not looking for Torah. You're looking for Avodah Zarah. You're looking for idol worship. If you think that if by you studying Torah, all of a sudden you're going to become rich overnight, good looking, skinny, and uh, somehow smart. And it's all going to happen out of a short period of time. you're not. You're looking for a magic trick. You're looking for witchcraft. You're not looking for Torah. The point of why we learn Torah is to fulfill the will of Hashem. That's the bottom line reason of why we learn Torah. Yes, of course, there's certain different beneficial aspects to it. But the real reason of why we learn Torah is because Hashem said so. So if you're looking for some trick system, you're putting yourself in danger. It's better you don't learn at all. You're obligated to learn. But if you're learning for such a thing, it's better you don't learn. Because you're putting yourself, you're learning the wrong thing. Now, what's the, what's the source? What's the proof? Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya, even though he was, at the time before he went off the derech, he was very holy. At the time before he went off the derech, he was very righteous and everything was great. But he bit off a little more than he can chew. He studied a little bit too much mysticism. He went a little too far, beyond what his capability of the neshama that he had, had, And as soon as he saw certain things that didn't make sense to him, he turned the opposite end. And this actually happens a lot of times where people, for example, love to talk about the Rambam. But instead of learning what the Rambam said as far as Alachot, the Yad Chazaka, the Mishneh Torah, that he uh, learned all the Alachot, how to be a Jew, how to follow the 613 commandments in our days, what to do, what not to do, how to behave, so on and so forth, what do they do? They learn Morey Nebuchim. They learn guide for the perplexed. The guide for the perplexed, for anyone that's a real Talmud Chacham, will tell you that reading it, reading, reading Morey Nebuchim, most likely is more likely to confuse you about everything in life, not just Torah, about everything in life than help you. Why? You have to be an extraordinarily high level of intellect and holiness to understand what he means. Because there are certain times that in Moran e Evuchim, the Rambam talks in philosophical terms that are makes him sound like, like Hasbushalom, like he's a heretic. doesn't make any sense. If you don't understand the background of what he's saying, it doesn't make any sense to you. So no, people like, to oh look, he's this, he's that. Like they, they read these books like it's like a, a, a Stephen King book. Like it's one of these non-fiction books or fiction books or Harry Potter like it's like oh yeah he said this he said this you know what it you know the significance of this the problem is that we really don't understand the significance of Torah we don't realize that reading one simple verse one simple verse in the five books of Moses Tanakh and the uh, Chumash not even just one verse one word one word, Bereshit. First word, Bereshit. You know Bereshit? Say Bereshit. It was worth it for Hashem to create the entire world. The entire world. The whole world. with all the problems with the flood and Abu Avodah and the heresy and the Christianity and the, uh, all the garbages in the world and all the problems and all the craziness, it was worth it enough for Hashem to create the world just for you to say Bereshit once. Once in your life. You said Bereshit, you're in the book, you wrote the book, who much? Bereshit? That's it, even say Bereshit, the You said Bereshit, that's it, said, Bereshit, finished. It was worth the for Hashem to create the world for that. And you want to go somewhere else. What's wrong with you? Where are you going? He specifically says the Torah is not in the heavens, it's not about... it's a Deep into the ocean, above the mountains. Why are you going so far? Everyone wants a shortcut. They did chuba six months ago. They already want to learn things that are, you know, what happens in heaven, what happened before this world, what's going to happen after this world. When's the Mashiach coming? Exactly what time? I want to know what the Mashiach coming because I want to make sure I cook something for him like he's going to talk to you. How do you know you're going to survive? Everyone wants to when's the Mashiach coming. Is he coming today? Is he coming tomorrow? What's he going to look like? Is this going to happen? Is it revival of the dead. They're dead. What what year is the revival of the dead going to be? Is it going to be forty years after? Fifteen years after? Is it going to be darkness? Fifteen days of darkness. That dark. What's going to happen? First, be a Jew. First, be a basic level righteous Jew. Then worry about Mashiach. What happens in heaven? What happens after this world? What happened before? First. Be a decent person. bara First say that verse with Shem Hashem in it. Do that. It was already worth the first time to create the world. After you do that a little while longer then you can start asking some more questions. Mashiach, no Mashiach, when Mashiach. Because the reality everybody's so worried about it. Mashiach coming, not coming, doing Aliyah, doing Yerida, doing this, doing this. We're forgetting about Today. What about today? What about now? Everyone wants a shortcut. Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Who says that you're going to survive, Mashiach? Who says you're going to survive? Why are you so confident you're going to survive? I'm telling you, the more I learn, I don't know if I'll survive. I try every day. I try every day. And if I don't try, my wife gives it to me on my hand and makes sure I try. I'm telling you, I try every day. I try every day to fight to make sure that we survive. I don't know if we're going to survive. I don't know. I'm, I'm dead serious. The more I learn Torah, and Ol Hashem today, Ol Hashem we learn. I, I don't know if I don't know if I have the merit to survive. Everybody's confident, as can be, to survive. "Oh, Mashiach is coming." Ol Hashem, let him come today. Let him come tomorrow. I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. Mashiach is coming. Who knows? I don't know. Learn, I don't know. If a thousand hours of Torah online, I have no idea if it means anything. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe right. Maybe wrong. What do I know? Who knows? Why are you so confident? The more I learn, the less confident I become. And everybody, Moshe is coming. I want him to. Come. Why do you want him to come? Who says? Can, who says he's going to save you? Do you know that he's going to be able to smell your yirat mind Do you even have yirat mind to him to smell? Do you even know what it means to have your Hamaim? Are you afraid? Are you afraid of Hashem? Afraid? No, I love Hashem. Oh, you love Hashem. Do you know what it means to love Hashem? It means you have no desires. That's what it means to love Hashem. It means you want nothing for yourself. Nothing. All you want is what Hashem wants. Do you even know what Hashem wants? Everybody's so confident, confident. I want to. Why are you so confident? First, learn what it says. The problem here. So that we want fast, we want quick. We're used to a world that gives us quick return. We press a button on the phone, something happens. This is nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. Elisha ben Avuya went to Shemaim a little too quick. He went to Shemaim and he saw some things that didn't make any sense. It says in the books that he learned that all the malachim, all the angels stand. He saw an angel sit. He says something's wrong. Maybe there's two There's two creators. Something didn't make sense in his head. Another one was that he says that he saw one day a guy climbing a tree trying to fulfill the mitzvah of Shloch HaKin. you can find in Deuteronomy 22 verse 6 and 7. It's the mitzvah where Hashem is also one of the mitzvot that we have no idea why and who and when. But Hashem decided that if you, we have a few tamim, a few explanations, but in reality everyone knows it's not the real explanation. That if you see a bird in a tree on her eggs, on her you shoo her away however many times it takes to shoo her away, and then you take the eggs. She continues to keep shooing her away. You can't take her you have to shoe her away and you have to take the eggs. That's a mitzvah. What's the? It says, what is actually the benefit of this mitzvah? Hashem promised you long days, meaning long life. It says in the verse, go look, Deuteronomy 22, verse 6 and 7. You go shoe a bird and you have a long life. Why? You know? I don't know. The Chachamim don't know either. But that's the mitzvah. So somebody did this and Elisheh Ben sees him and as he comes down a snake bites him and he dies. He did it. He took the bird. He took the he shooed the bird away. He took the eggs now he's supposed to get long life. Immediately he came down from the tree a snake, a snake bit him and he died. Finished. He says how does this make any sense? You would just did a mitzvah that according to the Torah promised you a long life. You died five seconds later. It's better if you didn't do the mitzvah. You would You lived something's wrong. Maybe there's no there's no deen there's no dayan there's no reward and punishment meaning he became a kofer in the 13 principles of faith. Last but not least he saw this was a time where the evil Romans Imach Shimam, were persecuting the Jews and one of the uh, the the martyred Chachamim was Abi Uda and uh, they cut him up into pieces and he saw in Elisha ben Avuya so that his tongue was in the in uh, mouth of a dog the holy tongue of Rabbi Yehuda was in a mouth of a filthy disgusting dog the holy tongue that said so many divrei Torah the holy tongue that said so many Chidushim so many amazing things, he sees a filthy dog is eating it. He says, after he sees it, he says, this is the Torah, this is the Torah, and that's its reward. Maybe there's no reward and punishment. Maybe there's no afterlife. Maybe there's no resurrection. These things didn't make sense to him. Didn't make sense to him. And the reason why they didn't make sense to him is because he was thinking like us. He was thinking like a human being. And Hashem Ibarach has specifically said in the Torah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think like you. When you think of benefit, you're immediately thinking of material. Hashem doesn't think in material. He's not material. When he says life, you'll have life. You have long life. He's not referring to long life in this world. He's talking about eternity. Because even if you have what you think is a long life in this world, you live 120 years. That's nothing in comparison to eternity. It's nothing even in comparison to people that lived in previous generations at the time of Noah. A young guy died at 350. He died young. Had a skateboard uh, fall on his head, and he died at 350. If you die an old man, you're almost a thousand. Well, so watch, you lived 120, you're still a puppy, like a baby in Noah's generation. Like a little baby. So even if you had a long life, what's long life? Meaning that whatever you think is a lot is nothing. Whatever you think is good is nothing. Our mind is still a human mind, it's a flawed human mind. And so when we're starting to give din khishbon to Hashemit Ibarach, meaning we'll start doing the accounting of Hashem and start asking so many questions, not only to our neighbor, not only to our friends, but we're starting asking Hashem so many questions. Hashem says, come up here, I'll give you some answers. Come up here, I'll give you some answers. I can't give you answers while you're still down there. You have a lot of questions? Come, I'll give you answers. Because the answers that I have, you can't understand them in your human form. You can't. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu. Asked Hashem, Hashem, I want to know why does the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Doesn't make any sense. Hashem says, I can't, I cannot explain it to you why you're still here in this world. It's Moshe Rabbeinu, spoke them face to face. We barely know how to spell Moshe in Hebrew. And we want to know more than Moshe. A lot of questions. So Elisha Ben Avuya made a mistake. Why did he make a mistake? Two reasons. Number one, his Torah wasn't pure. His Torah was not for the sake of heaven. His Torah was for the sake of material, for exterior, for kavod, for respect, for honor. Why was it like that? Because that's how his father brought him up. His father already put it in his mind, in his DNA. Go make money. Selling Torah. Second thing is he grew too fast. He told the guy, listen, you just started learning, keep going, keep going, let's learn Let's learn some Gemara. So you work through the day, and at night you learn. You learn in the morning, you work during the day, and then you learn again at night. Well you say, no no no, I'm leaving, I'm going to Kola full time. You're not ready for Kola. You're not ready for Kola. You have to get you have to be ready, you have to have a certain merit to go to Kola. You have to have a certain amount of knowledge to go to Kola. And I'm not talking about Torah knowledge, I'm talking about life knowledge. You can't just go from Gainum to Ghanadin in two seconds. To get there, there's a certain amount of Mesirut nefesh that's required. And for whatever reason or another, no one wants to listen to me. They keep going, they keep going, they keep going against, they have difficulties. I don't wish them difficulties, but they keep having difficulties. So, no one wants to be the student. Everybody wants to be the rabbi. Now, this Mishnah tells us a few other things. That's no, two. We do this one already. Oh, I've done with it. Give it to me. Give, give, give me all of them. Oh. This Mishnah also says a few other things. now that we know who we're dealing with Elisha ben Avuya see that Elisha ben Avuya saw a few things and got off the derech but how did he get to such a point where it was coined the name Achel Achel meaning the other like he's not one of us the stranger among us how do you go from being a Tana Tana meaning you're able to revive the dead You mentioned in the Gemara, your student is Rabbi Meir Balanis. Rabbi Meir, the owner of miracles. I mean, uh, that's your student. How do you go from that to being called the other? Don't mention him by name. How do you get that? After he saw some of these things that didn't make sense to him, he started becoming anti-Torah. He started becoming anti-Torah. He started going from yeshiva to yeshiva. And he started asking the, que- the kids questions. What are you learning? Oh, I learned... Da, 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 da. That's what you learned today? Okay, give me a chidush. It's a little young kid. give him a chidush. Ah, oh, it's wrong. Not if it's wrong. What do you do? You correct them. No, what do you do? He killed him. He says, you don't deserve to learn Torah. Another one... Oh, you're going to be a plumber. It's better for you not to learn Torah. You're going to be a painter. You shouldn't learn Torah. He started discouraging people from learning Torah, killing, murdering, every, all types of crazy things that you wouldn't think a psychopath does, let alone someone that knew Torah. His mind was completely twisted. Completely twisted. Now one day, and remember in those days there's no internet, there's no newspapers, there's no pictures. Not everybody knows what you look like. One day, he goes to a prostitute. And the Gemara says, he goes to a prostitute, and a prostitute says to him, he says, I want your service. And the prostitute says, wait a minute, aren't you the big rabbi, Elisha ben Avuya? Like, what are you doing here? And instead of responding to her with words, it was Shabbat. Instead of responding to her with words, he took a onion out of the ground. He went in the ground, he took an onion out of the ground, which is Khilul Shabbat. He violated Shabbat. And he gave it to her as a present. She was, oh you're not Alicia. You're not the rabbi. You're a You're someone else. Why? Why did you how did she come up with that? Why do you go from here? You aren't you Oh no, no, you're not him. He gave you an onion. What? onion makes you not somebody else? What happened? Here's the chidush. The chidush is the prostitute knew something that I wish, I wish everyone in this generation knew. Says that even the biggest rabbi in the world, even someone that's been religious his entire life, even someone that went to the best yeshivot, Even someone that has great upbringing. Even someone that's this and that. Whatever you want to say. There's no such thing as someone that's exempt from sex crimes. Meaning, if you're a guy, you can make a sex crime. If you're a girl, you can make. if you're alive, you can make a sex crime. Meaning, go do something that's not allowed. Why? She says though, if... Even if he is a rabbi, even if he is a Lishacher, and he came to me, it's not really a, a good thing for him to come to me. I'm After all, I'm a prostitute. That's why I asked the question. It's not normal. But how did she decide it's not him? She didn't see a picture in the newspaper. There's no newspapers about in those days. How did she see? So, he violated Shabbat. Meaning that even the biggest rabbi can violate a sex crime, but not even the biggest fool will violate Shabbat. The biggest rabbi could may go to a prostitute, but the biggest fool with a costume on still wouldn't violate Shabbat. Who knew, how do we learn this Musar from? A prostitute, a zonah. Do you, understand, do you understand what's happening here? People say, no, no, I go to and I Yom Kippur. If you have a choice. Keep Yom Kippur, keep Shabbat, keep Shabbat. Shabbat's more holy than Yom Kippur. But people think, oh no, but how do we know we should listen to her? Because the Gemara wrote. The Gemara wrote it And to make sure you realize that it doesn't matter that she's the one that said it despite all of her own crimes against Hashem. What's true is true. It doesn't matter who says it. That's why they wrote it in the Gemara. It makes no difference who said the truth. It still remains the truth. One of the places we learn this from is from a couple of weeks ago we learned about Eliezer and Avram. They had a conversation between them. Eliezer says to Avram, Avram, you know, you want me to go find your son, Yitzchak, a wife? But, you know, I have a daughter. I'm your second in command. I give shurim when you're not giving shurim. I give the shurim. I replace you. You know I know Torah. He became G'dol I give shurah Torah every day. Not just on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Every day shurah Torah I give. And my daughter, Tzedikah, she's the best one in the seminar. Tamida Chachama, you're her rabbi. Your wife Sarah is a Rabbanit. You know she grew up in a good house. She grew up, She knows who your son is. Good match. Avraham Avinu, Avinu. says, Atahu, Ani You are cursed. I'm blessed. can never be a marriage. It can never be a marriage. Why? You're from Canaan. The Canaanites are cursed. Hashem says they're cursed. Me, I'm part of the... I'm blessed. Now, if I was Eliezer, I said, thank you very much, I quit. It is my uh, two weeks notice. I'm cursed. After all these years I've been with you, I'm cursed. I'm leaving. I'm gone. See you later. Thank you. No thank you. kind of attitude? I'm suing you for harassment. What does Eliezer say? You're right. You're right. I swear to you, I swear to you, and he makes a vow. He makes a vow in that moment, I swear to you, I'm going to find him, I'm not going to bring your son, a Canaanite. I'm going to bring him one of your people, someone that's allowed. And Hashem Barach saw that inside Eliezer, he did not get offended. He did not get hurt, even though he just told him, his own teacher told him, you're cursed. We're hearing that he says he cursed, and we're getting offended right now. I see your faces. Everybody's offended. Why do you say that? That's so mean, Abraham. Why are you saying it, Abraham? That's so mean. Right? You're all thinking that. I know. I see your faces. You're all saying it's so rude. That's so mean. Why is he racist? You're all upset about it. Eliezer wasn't upset. Why? Because it was the truth. It was the truth. The truth comes out. It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter who says it. If it's true, it's true. If it's true, it's the will of Hashem. We also learn it from Bilam Rasha. Bilam Rasha. Bilam Rasha. When Balak tells Anu, no, your curses are not working. Do something else." He says, "What do you think? God thinks like you or me. He changes his mind. What do you think? Is a human being? He says one thing today, he changes tomorrow. This is one of the most important verses in the Torah in today's age." It completely destroys Christianity. It completely destroys all of Abu Zarah. He specifically says, what do you think? God thinks like you. You think God is like you. He acts like you. He's a human like you. He changes his mind. He makes a deal and breaks it. What do you think God is? He's like you. This is a verse in the Torah. Why is it a verse in the Torah? Bilam said it. It doesn't make a difference who said it. If it's true, it's true. If it's true, it's true. It doesn't make a difference. We learn about the significance of Chilul Shabbat from a zonah, from a prostitute, in the Gemara Maseret Avodah Zarah. Why did the Gemara say, couldn't it say, listen, he learned it in some shiul, or he learned it from some friend, or he had a girlfriend, you know, at least make it respectable. He had a girlfriend on the side or something. All the, all the choices you had to, well, it's true. That's how we see a Torah is a hundred percent authentic. There's no ziofim. There's no shady things. We're not sugarcoating anything. There's no sugarcoating in a Torah. Oh yeah, it was some girl he knew. She was lived down the hall. No, there's no political correctness. She was a prostitute. He came for that. And we learned Torah from her. Why? Because the truth. If you can't learn. That Shabbat is significant from her. You can't learn from anybody. You're too much of a fool. So this very same. Elisha ben Avuya. Now coined the name. Achel. Who made it? The Zona. And all of the Chachamim. Forever. Called him Achel. The other. After she made up the name. To show that it doesn't make a difference where you're learning the Torah as long as it's the real Torah. As long as it's true. Now, Of course there is that says if your rabbi has bad midot, you're not allowed to learn from him. We're not talking about learning Torah in that sense. We're talking about honest statements. We're talking about the truth versus lies. Regardless of who says the truth, who says a lie, It doesn't change whether it's true or a lie. If a big rabbi says a lie, it's still a lie. It doesn't make it true. If a big rabbi says it's true, it's true. It doesn't make a difference if he's a big rabbi. What's true is true. What's false is false. This is a very, very important principle that seems simple, but yet few people take it into account. So now this very same Elisha, he's telling us something extraordinary. He's telling us something that affected his life before he even went off the derech. Says, "You know why I went off the derech? It wasn't because of my teachers later in life. It wasn't because of my wife being a bad wife or a good wife. It wasn't because of my kids driving me crazy because they didn't want to sleep at night." or they want to go to an expensive college, or they're off the derech, or on the derech, or they don't want to get accepted to you. No, it had nothing to do with anyone. Except my parents. It says, whoever studies Torah while he's still a child, he's like someone, or he's like ink on a fresh, clean paper. Meaning, when someone studies Torah as a child... Whatever is written, whatever is told to them, they'll remember forever. Nothing is there to interfere. There's no shtuyo, there's no garbage in his mind, there's no stress about bills, there's no stress about girlfriends, there's no stress about this or that, or diets, or who's popular and who's not popular, and is this dress fit, or is it making me look fat, or is this glasses going to make me look old, none of that stuff is in your mind when you're a little kid. You're pure. You're pure, pure. Nothing's wrong. Meaning, you are a clean piece of paper. Everything comes in, stays in. You teach little kids Torah, that's where you go. Actually, one of the amazing things, one of the amazing traditions, that is, mamash for me personally, I think it's by far the most amazing thing that shows the value of tradition in the Jewish world especially, is the tradition that the Yemenites have of teaching their kids how to read from the scroll, read from the Torah, Sefer Torah, from the scroll when they're still little kids, three, four, five years old. I have never met a Yemenite, I've never met a Yemenite that doesn't know how to read from a scroll of Torah. There's no, like here in the rest of us, I, you know, my ancestors from Tripoli. Some people are from Morocco, some people from uh, Egypt, some people are from different parts of Ashkenaz, And if you've learned how to read from the Torah scroll, you learned. If you didn't, you didn't. It was an extracurricular activity, if you will, to learn how to read from the scroll. In the Yemenite world, it's no such thing. If you're Yemenite, you know how to read from the Sefer Torah. It's a prerequisite. It's mamash amazing. I've never met... Yemen doesn't want to read from a... But I'm not talking about reading, like, oh yeah, he knows a little bit, like he makes mistakes. No, no. They know better, like, they know the whole thing by heart. Alvay, I know it by heart. I'm 37. For anyone who had the question, because there's so many questions in the world. Imagine that. They know a little kid, six, seven years old, knows it by heart. Alvai Alenu. Amazing tradition. Why, why, why? Because they teach them when they're babies. When they're babies, they're clean. There's no garbage in their mind. They're not thinking about work, wife, kids, this. They're not, they don't have any of that garbage that we destroy our minds with. It's a clean piece of paper. Alicia Benavoya says, when I was a child, when I was a clean piece of paper, I was told that Torah is good, but I was told it was good for the wrong reason. I was told it was good, it was valuable, but I thought it was valuable for the wrong reason. They're supposed to learn Torah, so you become a fancy schmancy teacher. Told you are going to learn Torah so you could tell people what to do. Yell at them all day. Told you learn Torah so you have fire around you and looks cool on TV. Special effects when you're learning Torah. And the Chachamim say, What's Elisha Acher like? What is he like? He's like one of the songs of the Greeks or the books of the Minim. What does he have to do? What does Elisha have anything to do with the songs of the Greeks or the books of the Minim? The songs of the Greeks and the books of the Minim as follows. Songs of the Greeks meaning sometimes you raise your kids and you think that you're doing them a favor. By sending them to baseball practice. By sending them to become soccer players. By the way, when was the last Jewish soccer player that won the Stanley Cup? Answer, never. We're not known as good athletes to begin with. Even the good ones are not good. That's just not in our nature. It's not. When was the last Jewish player that kept Torah and mitzvot but also won the, the, uh, some type of other athletic award? Never. Even the few that succeeded that they claimed to be Jewish were either atheists or anti-God or completely secular. Meaning you can't do both. So sending your kids to your baseball, basketball, football, karate practices, what you're doing is you're destroying your kid. You're destroying the Judaism out of that kid. You can't be Jewish and a karate superstar at the same time. can't. The reason why is because you're telling them that going to karate two, three times a week for a few hours is more important than Torah. You're telling them that to be like a Greek, that fights in the in, in the Coliseum is more important than Hashem Yitbarach. One time, at a yeshiva rabbi asked his young kids, all six, seven, eight years old, "Who can tell me what's more important than Shabbat?" No one raises their hand. So the teacher is happy. We just finished Alachot Shabbat. My kids finally got it. I'm going to get a raise this year finally after 20 years of being in the school because my kids got the answer right. Until one little kid in the back raises his hand. I know, I know, I know what's more important than Shabbat. I know what's more important than Shabbat. The teacher just had like Ruined his whole salary, this guy. Okay, no, no. What's more important than Shabbat? I have a whole job to start all over with this kid. He's thinking in his mind. What he's thinking? He's going to say Yom Kippur. So I have to teach that whole Alecha all over again. Why it's more important and why Shabbat is Oh, he's thinking maybe oh, he's going to say Hashanah. He's thinking maybe he's going to say. Oh, what? What is he going to say? He's going to say some other mitzvah, right? That's what he's going to say. He says, "Okay, son. What? What's more important than Shabbat? What do you think is more important than Shabbat?" He says, "Soup." Soup is more important than Shabbat. All of a sudden, the entire class of 50 kids, they all turn around like, soup? We didn't learn this in Al-Khot Shabbat. Where's Yakut Yosef? Plan B? What is this? Where'd you find soup? He says, son, where'd you learn soup is more important than Shabbat? He goes, at home, I know that as soon as the soup is on the table... My dad gets upset and the whole Shabbat is ruined because it's not hot enough. So Shabbat is on hold as soon as he gets the soup. And he's right. In his house, the father taught him not Shabbat. He taught him that soup is more important than Shabbat. He taught him that soup is more important than Shabbat. You send your kids to karate class, to baseball class, to football class, to whatever class. The dance class. Mm. Everyone wants to be a dancer. You're not allowed to dance in public as a, as a Jewish woman, but you want to be a dancer now. For who? Where are you dancing to? You can't dance in public. You dance in your wedding to your other friends, okay? So you can learn dance for 20 years to dance one day. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> wedding party and a divorce party. I don't know. How many times are you going to dance? <laughs> How many times are you going to dance? Everybody wants to be a da- For what? I understand people are bored, but there's plenty of things to do. I mean, finish the Torah, finish the Shaz, finish Chumash, finish, finish. There's plenty of Torah to learn. You're never going to be bored in your life. But everyone wants to be a dancer, karate star, soccer star, this star. We all want to be Greeks. What about being Jews? Anybody want to be a Jew? Does anybody want to be a Jew? We tell our kids the soup is more important than Shabbat. We have a problem. We have a serious problem. And Elisha Elisha ben Avuya says that my father told me the soup is more important than Shabbat. The exterior is more important than Shabbat. And there are plenty of things that ruin our kids' mind. People say, I tell them, listen, you know, really, that rap music... Whether it's 50 Cent or it's MM or it's DMX or all these people. I used to listen to it too before I did Chuba. You have to stop listening to it. And tell me, why is it written in the Torah? You're not allowed to listen to rap? I said it's not. It's not. It's not written. There's no ala'cha shukhan aruch, chapter 210, ala'cha 30, uh not allowed to listen to Eminem. Doesn't say it. Doesn't say it. it doesn't say, it. It, doesn't say it. it. Doesn't say it literally like that. It doesn't say it. What does it say that I can't listen to this rap? It doesn't say it. What does it say? It says you don't want to ruin your mind. If you want to be a holy person, Parashat Gedoshim, Hashem says, Be holy because I am holy. You can't be holy if there's curse words in your head all day. And I'm not even talking about you saying the curse words, Hashem, I'm talking about you hearing them. The Gemara says this, the Gemara says someone who says a curse word, says a curse word, once, we're not talking about he says it every day. You're not a truck driver. Someone says a curse word one time. If there was 70 years of blessings, 70 years of blessings, decreed on Rosh Hashanah for him, or her, 70 years of blessings, they said we're going to give him 70 years of blessings. He's a he's dead, we're going to give him. And he says one curse, in Shammayim they could turn over the entire thing to 70 years of curses. For what? One curse. Now why do you think people curse? Do you ever hear somebody just invent the curse for no reason? No, they hear it. Where do they hear it? They hear it in music. They hear it from their parents. They hear it from other kids. Hashem, they hear it from school. Sometimes even their teachers. They hear it. So why are you going to feed it? They're already hearing it as it is living in the world around us. Anyway. It's not like you could stop it. I mean, unfortunately people curse. Unfortunately people have filthy mouths. This has been one of my personal tikkunim from when I did tshuva. I had to fix it. I thought there was no problem with cursing. What's the big deal? I even use it sometimes in business agreements. Talk like in Wall Street. If you don't curse, you may not be a you may be a, a private investigator. We don't believe you're one of us. <laughs> and Wall Street, if you don't curse, you're probably a Fed. What do you mean you're not cursing? You're probably in the SEC or the or Finra or somebody or like FBI. Why don't you curse? What's wrong with you? So I had to fix this. I, I I understand the feeling. But Hashem says it's filthy, filthy. Disgusting. Not a representation of Hashem. Not a representation of Hashem. Can't talk like a truck driver. Can't talk like Wall Street. Can't talk like the rest of the world. You have to watch your mouth. This is the same mouth that blesses me, can't be cursing others. So, where do we get these curses from? Number one source music. This is the reason why, if I ever listen to music, no lyrics. I don't even trust any lyrics anymore. Just instrumental, whatever instrumental you like. I decided to go with classical. It calms me. Pianos and stuff like that. Not like I listened to it that much before that. I just—that's the only thing I was like. I'm not going to listen to rap without the rap. (laughs) I don't want to even remind myself of the past. I don't even want to remind myself of the past. So even if I can listen, I don't want to listen to it. What? I already see myself thinking of the past. If there's like, somehow somebody turned the music on or there's a car next to me with the music blasting. I'm already thinking, oh, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Ah, the song, Yetzera already is on fire. You remember you went to the concert, you went to this, and you met this guy, you went to this guy. On fire, just hearing it from another car. But we give it to them. No, honey, I bought you an album. It's a new 50 cent album. It's the new uh, Gone Nefesh problem. It's the new CD. It uh, costs us $30. It's amazing. People can spend $30 on two CDs. They're going to ruin your Allah Abba. But $2 for two CDs to give you Allah Abba, they're not going to buy. Two CDs to give you Allah Abba to, for, for, for Torah, to buy on the website, they don't have $2. But $30 for garbage music to ruin Allah Abba, We'll buy two of them. One for my son, one for my son's friend. It's amazing how no one has any money for Torah. Everyone's broke. So rap music and all that type of music could be rock and roll and all that other stuff. You have to, you have to—we must think twice before you press play. Think three times before you allow your son or daughter or niece or nephew listen to that stuff. It's nothing personal against the artist. I feel bad for them. Do you hear that uh, most of them, they die because they become crazy? Become crazy, they be suicidal. Yes, yes, yes. Right now, one of them, just died. Not just one, a few. A few, the guy from, uh, from Lincoln Park, and then his friend died three months before him. They both killed themselves. And there's a new one every other month, it seems like. Everyone dies with a $100 million bank account and that $100 million can't help them. Rich, they die rich. Crazy, Rich material, poor, spiritual. The other thing is, is that I tell people, listen, says in the Torah that men and women need to be modest, not just women. Men and women need to be modest. A woman that's not modest is ruining our chances of having a shot, a shot, we're not even talking about a good, a shot of actually being saved by Mashiach. A shot of actually having Olam Why? Because it's the most significant mitzvah for a woman is to be modest. So they tell me, oh, what does it say that a woman can't wear pants? What's the big deal of pants? Does it say anyway it can't wear pants? Yes, it actually does. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22. Verse five it says, "Lo yekol kol Says, "Male garb shall not be on a woman, and a man shall not wear a woman's garment. For anyone who does so is an abomination of Hashem. It's disgusting to Hashem. So, male garment until recent generation, maybe about." Sixty years ago, seventy years ago, it was unheard of, unheard of for a woman to wear pants. If you want to go really far, a hundred years ago, you look at any pictures from a hundred years ago. It's not only do you never see a woman wear pants, but the type of dresses that they wore make every rabbanita in the world seem modest. That's how modest they were. The dresses were huge. No one knew the figure. No one knew if she was fat or the dress is really big. No one knew if she's skinny. If she nothing, you don't know. Just everyone looked the same. On the beach, off the beach, everywhere. You go. I went one time to the, uh, I was some type of government office in Boca Raton, and they had pictures on the wall of what Boca Raton looked like in the early 1900s, a hundred years ago. People on the beach. Now you would think everyone's naked. I'm looking at pictures. They're all going of pictures people that... It looks like Rabbanit, 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 Rabbanit. Everyone's a Rabbanit. Why? They have their head covered. Women, not Jews. Head covered. Dresses are this big. You can't tell who's big, who's small, who's tall, who's short. Everyone is as modest as can possibly be. The thought of pants was not even an idea in that generation. Not even an idea. Why? First and foremost... It's clothing for men. Pants, by definition, they're clothing for men. Second, they're not modest. When a woman wears pants, it simply you, it reveals her body. And if a woman doesn't value herself, she has to learn more Torah and eventually learn that she has to value herself. But, she has to understand that in the eyes of her father, her creator, She's a perfect diamond. It doesn't matter if she's smart, foolish, tall, short, black, white, whatever you are. In the eyes of Hashem, you're amazing. You're a perfect, flawless diamond. Now, a perfect, flawless diamond doesn't matter how many carats it is. It could be one carat or a million carats. It doesn't make a difference. It's something extremely valuable. Something extremely valuable is not exposed to the world. You don't throw it in the air and say, Hey guys, look, I have a priceless uh, diamond. No, you protect it. You cover it. So, if you view yourself at least as well as Hashem looks at you, protect your beauty. It's not for the world to see. So, people always tell me, Oh no, it's... Okay, fine, for women, we understand they have to be modest. But men, where where, it's, uh, where does it say in the Torah that men don't you know have to be modest? Well, there's a few places in the Shulchan Aruch. But the reality of it is, these are non-starter questions. The Shulchan Aruch it specifically says that a man is not allowed to be modest. He's not allowed to do certain things that will lead him to waste seed and so on and so forth. But the reality of it is that just the questions themselves that people ask sometimes shows how far they are from being a Jew and how close they are to being a Greek. The fact that every single question that you have, you're provided an answer and it's still not enough. You want another question, another answer, another question, another answer. Nothing's ever enough. You're constantly looking for like the gray area to justify your sins. Well, constantly okay boy well he said it's not allowed what about did somebody else say it is allowed because you know there's multiple opinions what he's not big enough for you he's not he didn't know the entire Torah by heart it's not big enough for you to hold by him you want to look for one guy that you never even heard of and all of a sudden you're going to hold by all of his halakhot or just this one why we're dying to be Greeks in the next few weeks we're going to celebrate Hanukkah and Chanukah is a very popular holiday both for the religious and the secular Jews. And we all celebrate that we beat the Greeks. The reality of it is that the Greeks right now in Genoa, they celebrate once a year. They're in Genoa, but they celebrate once a year. When? Chanukah. Why are they celebrating in Chanukah? They celebrate in Chanukah because they, they say to themselves, "Ah, they think they won. Look at how they dress. Look at how much sports they play all day. Look at how much sports they watch all day. They think they won the war. 2,000 years later, they're still in Coliseums every Monday. 2,000 years later, they still want to look like us, act like us, lift weights like us, worry about the exterior like us. They think they won. And they're lighting candles for it. Once a year, they celebrate, and we don't even realize we lost. We've become so Greek in some aspects that we forgot what it means to be a Jew. We thought we we made the Greek custom a Jewish custom somehow. Tomorrow, you have the American holiday, non-Jewish holiday of thanksgiving. And people are wondering if it's allowed to celebrate thanksgiving. The fact that this isn't a question is ridiculous. The fact that this is actually a question is ridiculous. And the reason why, is because first of all, if you look at all the poskim, no one talks about it. you look at all the Israeli poskim, they don't talk about it. you look at Europe, no one talks about it. And in... America's the only, American poskima the only ones that talk about it and very, very little. Now they asked Rav Moshe Feinstein, Alev Shalom, are you allowed to eat turkey and so on and so forth? He said, yeah, allowed to eat turkey every day of the year. You don't need Thanksgiving for it. But if it's a Maaseh Goyim, if it's a day where the Goyim celebrate a specific day, it's a different story. But the question that we're asking is not the question that was asked for Rav Moshe Feinstein. The question that people are asking today is, when they say, can we celebrate Thanksgiving? Is, can we celebrate a national holiday with our national friends? With our non-Jewish friends? Can we go to their house? Can they come to our house? Can we have a meal among the nations? Can we make a United Nations holiday? Peace among the nations. Can we celebrate with the Greeks, the Germans, and the Romans? And that, you don't need to go as far as Rav Moshe Feinstein. You could just open the Gemara, Masechet Avodah Zarah. Not allowed. It's not allowed. It's not allowed, number one, it's a Maaseguim. It's acting like the non-Jews. It's not a Jewish thing to do. Number two, it can make, one, too comfortable with the non-Jews to the extent where he starts eating their bread and then drinking their wine. And then the Gemara says marrying their daughters or marrying their sons. This is a problem. Intermarriage doesn't just happen. No one just one day is religious, the next day is intermarried. It doesn't just happen. It's not an accident. It's not gas. It's not. Everyone pretends, they don't know what I'm talking about. It's It's not that. It doesn't just happen. It's something that's been happening for a while, and eventually it climaxes. Where does it start? It starts at home. It starts with Ima and Abba. If Ima and Abba tell you that it's okay to watch everything you want to watch on television, on a computer and everything else with no control, no censoring, no nothing, you're doomed. Any parent that hates their kid should give their kid every single thing they want. And Torah says, that in Proverbs, If one is drawn to scuffers, he'll scuff. If one is drawn to humble, he'll find favor. Meaning, Hashem Ibrahim says, if you're going to hang out with clowns, you'll become a clown one day. If you're going to hang out with humble people, you'll become humble one day. If you let your kids watch all this garbage on television, all this garbage on the internet, people are worried only about the television. They should also worry about the internet, too. Now, I'm not saying you should put your kids into a box and make them look at walls all day, because eventually they'll have to come out of the box. So I also don't think that keeping them in a box is good either. Eventually they grow up and they have to see what's outside of the box. And if the first time the kid sees what the world looks like is when he's 18, 19 or 20 years old, he explodes. He doesn't have a built up Yetzirah immune system. He explodes. He goes crazy. He doesn't know what to do because the fact that you're telling him that certain things are not allowed is good for him. If you're just hiding him in a hole... It could potentially destroy him because he doesn't know what's good and what's bad. He just knows what he has. He's a caveman. That's why a lot of times you see some of these so called really, really religious people become the worst people on earth. How? What happened? You kept them closed for so many years. He never saw anything. He just saw four walls. One day you let him out all at once. He went crazy. He went crazy. Who knows if he's ever gonna come back? So, there's a, there's a way and there's a way. I'm not saying that we're perfect at it or even know everything, but the point is, is that there's a way and there's a way. You have to use a little bit of knowledge from the sages, Torah, a little common sense. If you want your kids to have a chance of not going to the same tikkun we did and being forced to do tshuva later on in their life, You have to teach them Musar and all of the foundational stuff and the importance of Torah when they're still young. Because at that moment, whatever you teach them stays with them. Now even though we didn't grow up really religious, there's a few mitzvot that I remember my parents taught me. And till this day, those few mitzvot are my favorite saying Shema Yisrael before I went to sleep. Birkat HaMazon saying Birkat HaMazon and putting the Be'ezot HaShem on the top of the piece of paper. Those few things as simple as they sound I learned them when I was a little baby a little kid. But all these decades later they're the most valuable to me. Why? Clean piece of paper. Clean piece of paper. The Rabbi Ponovich, Aleva Shalom after the Holocaust he went looking for kids. Why are you going to look for kids? He says because before the Holocaust unfortunately the Jewish parents ran out of choices to hide their kids. So they sent them to seminaries. They sent them to the Christians. To so the Christians, you know, if they knew they're Jews, if everybody knew they're Jews, they're going to kill them. So we send them to the Christians so they'll hide among the Christians. They won't know. At least save their life. So after the war, the Christians didn't want to give them back. The Christians didn't want to give the Jewish kids back. So the Ponovich went to one of these uh, big places with a bunch of kids there, thousands of kids. So He's like, bring, give me all the Jewish kids. He goes, no, I don't know if there's any Jewish kids here. And even if they were, I don't remember who they are. And I'm not going to give you any Christian kids. So you just go, go somewhere else. Not here, not here. He go, no, no, no. Give me five minutes. I'll identify all the Jewish kids. He goes, you identify all the Jewish kids? They're six, seven, eight, nine years old. I can identify. They don't know anything. You haven't, they haven't seen their parents in five years. How you identify? He goes, let me give me five minutes. Five minutes. I'm not asking for research, papers. Not five minutes I want. No, go ahead. Go. He goes to the room where all the kids are. He says, "Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Chad. Hundreds of kids say, Ima, Ima. Last time they heard Shema Yisrael was five years ago. From who? From Ima. From their ima, from their mom, they heard it. Two, three years old, they heard it. They still remember it five years later. And that saved them. That saved them. The Jews to this day, that saved them. Teaching your kids, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That saved them. Why? Clean piece of paper. Clean piece of paper. No stress, nothing ruining it. When I see my daughter, my little two and a half year old daughter, doing a blessing, it's the greatest blessing in the world. No one in the world has ever said a blessing like this kid. She doesn't even know all the full words, but the blessing she has, a hundred percent kavana. It's unbelievable. It's like the whole world stopping, waiting for her to do this blessing. She does the blessings of the world. A million bucks every blessing. I'm telling you, it's the greatest blessings in the world. Why? Clean piece of paper. No rap. No Greek, no garbage, nothing. She's not closed in some room by herself. My wife, God bless her, takes care of it. whatever she watches. She makes sure that she monitors any, any type of programs to be educational. Everything with CDs we put on there to make sure she watches something that's educational and not just some garbage on some cable channel or something like that. She, she knows our entire alphabet, she knows math. Already she knows math, already she knows alphabet. She's a smart kid too, but aside from that, we're, we're not watching just for the sake of watching to just occupy time. You have to be very careful with these kids. Whatever you teach them can save their eternity. It could save their eternity you're ruining it. Who's telling us this? Elisha ben Avuya. He's the prime example. He says, I learned Torah my whole life. I learned more Torah than all of you combined. All of you combined your entire life. You could learn Torah. It's still not going to be like Elisha ben Avuya. Myself included times 10. All of us could learn Torah. We start here, we don't leave. We start learning Torah, learn Torah. Look, for the rest of our life, a thousand years, still not going to be like Elisha ben Avuya. A thousand years, we're not going to learn why he knew. He says, I knew Torah, the sword, the, I knew all Torah. I went to Shemaim. Do even know to He went to Shemaim. He started seeing stuff, seeing angels. We think of angels as a cartoon or something. He saw angels. He's telling you, what ruined me? What Abba taught me when I was a little kid. He told me that materialism is important. He told me to be a soccer player is important. He told me that to play video games is important. He told me that to win in the karate match is important. To watch wrestling matches is important. Money is important. He told me money is important. You know how many parents tell their kids money is important? They make their little kids businessmen already at 3, 4, 5, 6 years old. The kid drops this, I see this all the time. I see this all the time, unfortunately. Kid drops a Sidur or Sefer Torah in a Bekneset, no one says anything. Kid drops a Sidur Sefer Torah on the floor, you know, accident. Falls on the floor, no one says anything. Everyone's very lethargic. Wait for him to pick it up. Sometimes he doesn't pick it up. Sometimes he picks it up and he just puts it back on a table, even though it broke it or whatever. But, Shalami dropped Abba's phone on the floor. Hey, what are you doing? You have to be careful. It's Abba's phone. It's $800. Sefer Torah was dropped on the floor. You didn't say a word. Sidur says Shem Hashem in it. Shem Hashem is in it. You didn't say a word. Nothing you didn't say. The phone, the iPhone, the iPhone fell on the floor. You wanted to take the kid's head off. Are we Greek or are we Greek? And you expect your kid to be what? Gdola, ador or what? don't what? Video games or iPhones? What's he going to be? You're ruining him. Why are you making him think that the iPhone is more important instead of Torah? When you teach a kid Torah it's like engraving Engraving something into his neshama. When you teach it to an adult, it's like writing. Engraving becomes part of whatever you wrote it on. Writing is always something you can ruin. And eventually wears off. And that's the other thing that Elisha ben Avuya says. He says... You know who the child is, you know who the child's parents are by how he speaks in the market. page 56, it says we know who the parents are, what kind of parents they are. Not who they are by name or by face, but we know what kind of parents a person has just by seeing their kids talking in the market. Why in the market? That's when people talk like freely. So when, a, when parents are actually educating their kid, the number one most important thing that they realize is they want to make sure that kid never has to do tshuva. He lives a life of tshuva. He never has to do tshuva. Every day he does tshuva, because tshuva is part of Judaism. It's one of the mitzvot of the Torah. You want to be a righteous Jew, you want Hashem to, to save you, you want all the blessings, you have to do tshuva every day, because there's no such thing as a Jew who doesn't sin, or a person who doesn't sin in general. Even if they're gedol, it doesn't make a difference. Everyone sins to some extent. You have to do tshuva every day, but to do tshuva versus live tshuva is two different things. Do tshuva is like one day you woke up and you realized you were wrong. Living a life of tshuva, living a life of tshuva, it's different. Different. That means you have a shem in your mind at all times. So Elisha ben Avuya says, to live a life of tshuva. You have to make sure that you make the Torah part of you. Now the problem is that sometimes you don't wake up until you're late. Like us. You're 30 years old, you're 20 years old, you're 50 years old, you're 60 years old. Like Israel or Jerry on Sunday, 65 years old, Hashem, you're starting to do chuba. 65. It's never too late. But it's a different Torah. Same Torah, but it's different Torah. Why? Because now it's a little more difficult. Now Elisha ben Avuya says, what's the Torah of studying of an old man? It's like ink being written on smudged paper. Meaning, the first and foremost, in order for you to accept the Torah, you have to smudge, you have to erase what's already on it. All the garbage you've been taught for 20, 30, 40, 50, 65 years, you have to erase it first. You can't put the purity of Torah on top of your garbage and expect it to stay. What is it like? If, let's say, for example, you want to put on a, a, a top of a uh, of a kitchen, a new top. And going to tell you, listen, remove the old top, clean the surface, Clean the surface and put the new top with it. It's granite or formica, whatever it is. Clean the surface, put the new top, finished. Now, if you do it without cleaning, you remove it and you put the new top on. Short period later, what's gonna happen? It's gonna fall and break. But you say, Why? Put it on top. I did half the job. What's the big deal? It won't stick. It won't stick unless you clean the surface first. The Torah won't stick unless you clean all the garbage first. Unless you remove all the kfirah, all the heresy out of your mind. You can't continue learning from the New Testament and go through conversion. You can't continue to learn about stuff that goes against Hashem and say I'm doing tshuva." You can't watch sports every night and say, No, I want to go to Shioto on Tuesday. It's not gonna help you. Why? Because that one day, that one shihur, it's gonna give you fire for another day, for another two days, for another week even. But as soon as you turn on stuff that's against the Shem on TV, it ruined everything. Five minutes later, five minutes after the shiul, you went to the Torah, three hours. You come home, you turn on the TV, you put on sports, you put on some uh, disgusting movie that has nudity in it and all types of stuff. Five minutes, you came back from the Torah. Kodesh Kodeshim, a Hashem bach attend the Torah. You went home, you put on some type of movie. You ruined the entire shiul Torah. Everything's gone. Everything's garbage. It was better off you didn't come to the shiul Torah. Better off you didn't come. Why? Because maybe you would have been sleeping by then. And you wouldn't have watched that disgusting movie. So a person needs to understand that when they're older, it's much more difficult to learn Torah. You already have a lot of garbage to deal with. But the other pirush, I'll finalize it with this. The other pirush is the following. It says... A lot of people always ask how is it that some people advance in Torah much faster than others? Why are they all smarter all the time? But intellect has to do with everything? The reality of it is intellect has nothing to do with it. If you learn about the Rambam the Rambam himself writes about himself that his family considered him a fool for many years. He knew nothing. His brothers were tamideh Chachamim. And him as a kid, nothing. Nothing special at all. If anything, below average. And they mocked him. They mocked him and they mocked him. And one day he went to the B'Knesset. And he cried all night next to Aaron HaKodesh. He cried all night next to Aaron HaKodesh. Begging Hashem to open up his mind. Now which one of you knows the names of the Rambam's brothers? Exactly the point. The Rambam became the Rambam. They became nothing. It has nothing to do with intellect. It has to do with Mesirut Nefesh. It has to do with sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice to fulfill the will of Hashem. What are you willing to sacrifice to fulfill the will of Hashem? The Gemara YMasechet Barachot Rosh says if you want to earn Torah you must be willing to sacrifice your life mamash. If you understood what the Torah really is you wouldn't have a problem. It wouldn't be such that like to you right now you're hearing this it, like what well, is this guy crazy? What well, would become ISIS? will become Palestinian, start suicide. No, we're not talking about that. But sacrificing your life means that desires, this world, the Greek mentality, all that stuff, gone. You hear something is not allowed, you don't do it. Why? You have Torah. And even before you have Torah, you have Torah in your mind. You say, I want to get it. If this is going to get in my way, Finished. If she's going to get in my way, finished. If he's going to get in my way, finished. If the music is going to get in my way, finished. Food's going to get in my way, finished. Whatever it is going to get in my way to actually fulfill the will of Hashem, finished. I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it. If every time I eat, I become sleepy, I'm just not going to eat as much. I'm going to eat just enough to survive. Why? I, I want to learn Torah. If every time I hang out with my friends it ends up being a big waste of time. I'm not going to hang out with my friends anymore. I have one friend, Hashem. If every time I do something, it ruins my shurim, it ruins my Torah, I'm not doing it anymore. Why? That's Mesirut Nefesh. That's Mesirut Nefesh. You're removing, you're, you're taking out the Greek from within you. Now in order to do that, the Mishnah here is telling you in order for you to get to that mindset, you have to think of a kid. You can't think like an adult. Why? An adult has too much complication in his head. Everything is a big deal. Everything is a consideration. Oh, let me think about it. Let me weigh my options. I'll get back to you next week. Let me talk to my spouse. Let me see what my friends think. There's so many considerations. Everything's a big deal. Oh, I'll get back to you. Give me a few months. Let me get used to it. He's got so much garbage in his head to make the smallest decision of what to eat takes 20 minutes. One of the, I was telling my wife the other day, honestly, one of the main things can do me a big, big, big mitzvah, big chesed. I don't ever want to go out to eat anywhere. To go pick up like fast food or anything, I don't want to go. like we, let, I'll pay somebody extra just to deliver it so I don't have to do it. Why? I know for me, if I go to a place, I look at the menu 25 minutes. Why am I looking at this thing? How is this going to taste? Is it going to be good? I'm mean, imagining myself eating the shawarma. I'm imagining myself eating the steak now. Ah, steak's not that good. I'm imagining myself eat the burger. No, I don't want the burger now. With the ketchup? No, no. I imagine myself eat every single thing on the menu. It's 25 minutes. By the time I finish the menu, I'm full already. It's 25 minutes just picking the food. Who wants to waste that kind of time? You know how much time I can learn in 25 minutes? Hashem, my wife said, I don't leave the house. Except to see you guys. So, you have to think like a kid. What does it mean to give a kid, the kid get excited. You give a kid a new toy. You give a kid, you can give a kid a rock. If it's the first time he saw the rock, he's as excited as can be. He's gonna do it. He's, the rock became a spaceship. The rock is a superhero. The rock is Moshe Rabbeinu. The rock is it's, it's it's amazing. If you give a kid the ability to use his imagination, a rock is the greatest thing in the world. Uh, whatever toy it is, that's why it's a foolish thing to buy kids many toys. Why? You're just in essence ruining their imagination. That's why I see for my own kids, you have 20 toys, let's say. What do they pick? The only thing they're not allowed to touch, some, I don't know, some dust somewhere, or some button that fell on the floor. It's not one of the toys. It's the only, it's the most uninteresting thing in the world. That's what they pick they want to play with. Why? Because there with the button or the rock, Or whatever it is They can use their imagination So all the parents that buy their kids stuff Like every other day You're just ruining your kid You're just gonna have a bunch of brand new toys That they used once And then they never again Parents always think it's a good thing To buy kids a lot of toys It's not Greatest thing is for a kid to use imagination As an adult You don't even know what imagination is anymore You forgot Being a kid Mishnah says you have to be a kid Meaning you have to get excited How do you get excited? You have to remove that ego of yours You have to remove that ego That has all the consideration And all the thoughts And all the negotiation between the Yetzirah And the Yetzirah Tov And you have to think about You have to do this uh, When I have time When I don't have time But I'm so busy And I'm so stressed out And I gotta make money And I have a show on And I have it And all the different things says you're never gonna get to all that way You're never going to get Torah. You have to be a clean piece of paper. You know it's Torah? Act like it's a clean piece of paper. That's the main thing that destroys people. A lot of people can learn Torah. They open the books. The books they open. There's no problem. It's not a special uh, code to open a book. There's plenty of people that have been opening books for decades. Decades. They've opened books. They have libraries in their house. And they've read many of the books. You ask them, give me a Dvar Torah. Give me a Dvar Torah. Two minutes they can't tell you. But you read all the books. You have 500 books in your house. Give me a Dvar Torah for, for Shabbat. Shabbat table, give me a Dvar Torah. Nothing. Mute. Nothing. They don't have anything. Or if they have something, it's always an original thought. It's always a thought that no one in the world has ever said. Rashi disagrees with it. Rambam disagrees with it. The Puskim disagrees. It's no one. It's always like the whole world is wrong and now he arrived. He has a chidush for the world that disagrees with everyone. So if anyone forgot from previous shulim, if your chidush contradicts any of the chachamim, even from the previous generation. We're not even talking about 800 or 900 years ago or 2,000 years ago. If your chidush contradicts Rashi, if your chidush contradicts Rambam, it's not a chidush. It's an error. There's no chidush. It's an error. It's a mistake. You will never be right and Rashi wrong. You will never be right and Rambam wrong. Never. Never, ever, ever. It's impossible for it to happen. Why? You are closer to a monkey than them. With all due respect, I am too. We have no idea who these people are. I'll give you an idea. I'll give you an idea. One time there was a man named Rabbi Yitzchak. He wasn't exactly a rabbi, but they called him Rabbi Yitzchak. Poor as dirt, but righteous. As poor can possibly be, he studied his Torah, he did his business, but what could he do? Nothing. Nothing nothing was paying, nothing was doing. As poor as can possibly be. And one day one day it gets to a point of Mamash starvation. It gets to a point of Mamash like they have no food. It gets to a point of starvation, it gets to a point of no food, suffering, it's tough. But he's not worried about that. What is he worried about? He's worried about that for almost two decades that he's been married to his wife, they haven't had a son. They haven't had a child. The only thing they can think about day and night is having a child and they can't have a child. So, Sad praise to Hashem, but what else could he possibly do? One day, as the poverty continues, you know, in those days, it's either you were extremely rich, few, or you're poor as can possibly be. There was no middle class. One day he finds a stone in the field. He doesn't know much about stones but he brings it to his wife his wife brings the stone to the local s- expert local expert says this is a priceless stone this is something that's you have no idea this you're you're, you're the richest people in, in in the country forget about in the town here take a couple thousand dollars to buy groceries and do whatever it is that you want but this is a stone that i'm more than happy to sell for you if you give me the uh the honor to sell it for you please obviously them striking rich overnight wonderful apparently this story is important enough for the Yetzirah to arrive three times in he's sitting also so the guy puts it on the market Little by little, people come in to see. Wow, this precious stone, beautiful to the top, but no one can afford it. One day, they get a couple of messengers from a different country. He says, "Yes, the king of some country. One of the uh, he's looking for a specific stone, and uh, we want the uh, owner of this stone is perfect. It's perfect for what he's looking for. So, where's the owner?" Oh, the owner is uh, Rabbi Yitzchaki. Hey, I'll bring him here. Okay, listen, we're leaving tomorrow morning. You're going to come meet our king. And uh, I'll give you whatever you want for this stone. Because he needs it. Because it just the uh, this was the eye in his, in his statue. So Rabbi Yitzchaki knows he doesn't have much of a choice here. If he says, I'm not going, they're going to kill him. So now his wife doesn't have a kid or a husband. Mm-hmm. If he says yes and he goes to this king, he's gonna be partner to Abu Zarah. He's partner to Abu Zarah. He doesn't know what to do. He prays to Hashem to give him something to do something. The next day they go on, they go on a boat. He has the stone in his hand the whole time. He doesn't know what to do, what to do, what to do. They're on the boat. The sea starts rocking. And he gets a brilliant idea. I'm going to throw the stone in the water. He throws the stone in the water. Makes it pretend as if... It fell out of his hand. And then he pretends like he went crazy. For losing the stone. They arrive at the seashore... Like, oh, where's the guy with the stone? We heard you wrote us letters. Where the guy with the stone? We heard is the stone. He goes, no, no, it's this guy. He goes, what do you mean? there's a drunk. He's a, it's a crazy person, this guy. Because goes, no, no, you don't understand. This guy, don't even touch him. Don't even bother with this guy. Poor guy. He just had a priceless $20 million stone and he just lost it. Don't even touch him. Like, we already feel bad enough for him. Put him on the next boat to go back to wherever he came from. Choice. They put him on a boat. They send him home. As soon as he comes home, he gets off the boat. This old man, right off the boat, covered up, comes up, comes closer to him, closer to him, and closer to him, and closer to him. And then he grabs him really fast. He goes, "You are going to have a son that's going to light the world because you took something." (laughs) that was worth priceless to man but was against Hashem and he says that his eyes were like that diamond and when he came home he told his wife I believe I just saw Eliyahu Navi." and their son that was born a year later his name is Rashi well, that's Messirut Nefesh that's messy with nefesh. Can any of us that have food to eat have roofs over our head, not worried about lunch tomorrow or dinner next week? Would you give up 20, 30, 50 million dollars? Just to chashma shalom, not be partner of Abu Daza that you can't even see? Or you just make pretend like you didn't see it and you don't know that it's happening? Ah, it's their business whatever they're doing. I just sold them the diamond. What do I care what they do with it? That's the Greek in us. That's the Esav in us. So, no, it's, what's my problem what they're doing with the rock? What's my problem what they do with this? What's my problem? It is your problem. You're not thinking with a pure mind. You're thinking with the Esav. You're thinking with the Yetzirah. Elisha Benavuya says that mindset is what ruined him. Despite his father knowing a ton of Torah... Was too materialistic. That materialism infected the sun. That materialism eventually ruined the sun. That materialism eventually got the son, Elisha Ben Avuya, to be called a hill meaning he's excluded from the nation. The good news for Elisha Ben Avuya is after he died right before he died Rabbi Meir got him to do tshuva right before he died the problem is that he still wasn't able to fix the sins he, st- he still went up to Shamayim without fixing the sins so the sages say that when he went up to Shamayim, they said listen Gan Eden we can't let you in You murdered, you violated Shabbat, you did all these terrible things. Okay, you said I'm sorry before you died, but you still have Chilul Shabbat on your account. You still have murder on your account. You still ate taref on your account. You still went a prostitute on your account. You didn't fix those things. You didn't have enough time to do tshuva. You said I'm sorry before you died. Great. So that's why you're here. And that's why we're even considering you. But you still have those sins. You still didn't do full tshuva. So you can't enter Ghanedim. On the other hand, you can't go to Ganom. Why? You have to have merit to go to Ganom, Because six out of the seven parts end at some point. You made enough sins, your sins won't end. They won't end, but you have Torah. So we can't let that Torah just go to nothing. The Torah is worth priceless. We don't know what to do with you. So we're going to send you to Kaf Kela We're going to send you to a place that just is pure suffering with no end in, in sight. Until someone figures out what to do with you. Rabbi Me'i saw was in Shemaim. His student saw was in Shemaim. He says, when I die, I'm going to put him, I'm going to fight in Shemaim. I'm going to put him in Gaino myself. So when Rabbi Me'i Balanes, his student that loved him dearly, died, they started seeing smoke Coming out of Elisha ben Avuya's grave for years, for 150 years, smoke was coming out of the grave. One day, Rabbi Yochanan sees smoke coming out of the grave. He said, "What is this? What is this grave? Why is there smoke?" He told him the whole story. Rabbi Neir, Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya. Rabbi Yochanan says, "Me ten, and he's going to fight me. Where? Tw- who's who's going to fight me when I die to get him out of genom Someone has so much to rock, I'm going to get him out of genom Who's going to fight me? And when he died, the smoke stopped, meaning that he took him out of Ginnom. Why? He suffered enough. He did tshuva, and on top of it, he had the merit of Rabbi Shimon uh, Baranes and Rabbi Yochanan. Which are technically both his students. So the good news for Elisha ben Avuya is his Torah at the end saved him. Suffered for a long time. But his Torah saved him. The bad news is... Neither Abimelech Or Abi Yohanan... Are going to be there to fight for us. Hmm. Only we can. Only we can do... Tshuva for ourselves. Only we can do... Favor to our children... And to our spouses... And to the world around us. And teach them how to not be a Greek. To teach them how to be a clean piece of paper. Absorb the Torah. Don't be so stubborn that if you didn't hear it, you don't want to accept it. The problem with people today is that if they didn't hear it, they assume it's wrong. If they never thought about it, they assume it cannot be. This is one of the things that ruins us as Jews. This is one of the things that ruins us as parents. Kid tells you something you don't want to hear because you never heard it before. This also ruins us as spouses. Moshe Rabbeinu's father, he was a gedolah giant. But before becoming a giant, he was rebuked by a six-year-old daughter, Miriam. She told him, you made a decree for everyone to stop having kids to get divorces because you're seeing that Paro is killing all the firstborn sons. So you're saying, might as well get divorced, you don't have intimacy with the wives, so therefore you're not going to have any kids. So therefore, Paro is not going to kill anyone. And his six-year-old daughter is telling him, Abba, I know you're Gdol Ado, but you're worse than Paro. Because he is only killing the boys. You're killing boys and girls. He is a Rasha, which means that in Shammai, maybe what he says won't come true. You're Tzadik, what you say is going to come true. Do you think he listened? She's six years old. Imagine six years old, come tells you what to do. Because he was a he listened. Why? Because it's true. It doesn't matter where it comes from. If it's true, it's true. It doesn't make a difference where it comes from. That's what we learned from the Gemara about Elisha ben Avuyah. It doesn't make a difference that he went off the derech. This specific Mishnah is still right. He's the best example to give this Mishnah. He says, listen, what you teach your kids, it's gonna hold true forever. It's engraved in them forever. I'm the prime example. They ruined me before I even knew I could get ruined. They made money important to me before I even knew what money was. Look what happened to me. They told me I'm supposed to go learn Torah because of fire. Because of... uh, all types of fame and fortune. Look what happened. The fact that he went off the death is irrelevant. It's true. It's in the Mishnah. The fact that the Zonah is a Zonah, she's a sinner against the Shem is irrelevant. She proved that Shabbat is more important than anything else. Point is we learn this time and time again. What distinguishes the Torah from any other book, whether it's the foolishness of Christianity, or the even bigger foolishness of Islam, or the pure stupidity of Buddhism, or the disgustingness of all the different Indian religions, that what, right now they made the poop of cows into soap. They made the poop of cows into soap, because they worshipped the cows. Like, it's the stupidity, and it was a stock, the price would be infinity. It wouldn't stop going up. It's every week we discover stupidity at new highs. But some there are millions and millions of people that follow this. Millions of people. We're not talking about 5, 10, 20 people. There are millions and millions billions of people are following this stupidity. It's time for us to stop acting like them. It's time for us to stop acting like them. It's funny that they're making poop of a cow into something valuable. But some of the things we do are no different. When we tell our kids that karate class or soup or the baseball game or the football game or the job or money is more important than what Hashem said, it's no different. It's no different. This is wrong and this is wrong time for us to start acting like Jews. Bezat Hashem, this is a wake-up call for all of us to fix ourselves, to do tshuva, to live a life of tshuva, and Be'ezot Hashem, help Am Yisrael, and the rest of the world do tshuva. Any questions? Given the situation of Elisha bin Abu Abuyam, mm-hmm. I've heard people say things like, my son... He is going to be a, a big rabbi. Right. The child is not even in any issue or doing anything that's putting him on the way. That's just the parents go for the child. Is that what? I mean, what, the kid's two years old, you mean? could be older, but... The kids, they're not doing anything about the kid no, being a big good. rabbi, but they say that he's going to be a big rabbi. Yeah. I mean, this is just a parent... Trying to express their love, but at the same token, also trying to show off what they think is very valuable uh, to the world. They think that they, uh, their son is very valuable to them, and uh, you know they believe that the Torah is valuable, or at least they're they're acting like it is by words. They're saying that the two are a good match, and therefore, over time, it's it's you know the uh, the kid's gonna succeed in it. The reality of it is that the the parents that usually have their children become really big chachamim. Don't say stuff like that. You know, the parents that actually have, you know, kids that succeed in life, don't put that stuff into their mind. You know, in general, success is not something that's you have to be convinced to do. Success is something that happens as a result of hard work. If you keep telling your kid. You know, that you're going to succeed, you're going to succeed, you're going to succeed. That's not going to make him succeed. It may get him stressed out, but it's not going to get him to succeed. You know, what's going to get him to succeed is getting him to get used to being a hard worker. So that's one of the things that's forgotten in this generation. People think that just because you look a certain way, you're going to be a famous movie star. Just because you have a good memory when you're 6, that means you're going to be a big scientist when you're 16 or 26 or 36. Like People assume that certain things happen because of your natural uh, skills that you're born with and really they don't have enough value on hard work. And really the most important asset that a person could have is hard work, regardless of what they want to succeed in. So when parents just... Try to say things like that out loud. Really, doesn't mean much. It's not. Uh, first of all, it's. Not, I don't think it's very good for the kid. Um, and two, I don't think it's good for the parent. If the if it's potentially true, and the kid, let's say, is gifted, let's say the kid is extra smart, and they're saying, "Yeah, my kid's extra smart. He's going to be g'dolador. They're putting aina on the kid. They're putting aina on, on a kid, and they're also doing something that's no different than what Avuya did to Elisha. If they cared about Torah, they wouldn't care about whether he's going to be Gdolador or not. They'd care about him being a Ben Torah, period. Someone that really loves Hashem doesn't care about is he going to be the biggest in the generation or not. Someone that loves Torah, that loves Hashem, just cares about is my son going to be kosher or not. If Hashem gives him the uh, kedusha of being Gdolador, great. But that's not what we're worried about. What we're worried about is is my son going to be kosher? Is my son going to keep Shabbat? My son going to you know, learn Torah every day. That's what you're supposed to be worried about. Some parents are, are foolish, where they're, they're worried that their son is not like an extra scholar. Um, if he's religious, if he keeps Shabbat, if he eats kosher, he goes to B'Kinesan every day, you should already say, In a generation of 7.5 billion, almost 8 billion people actually, 8 billion people, 2 or 3 million of them actually keep Torah and mitzvot. Out of the two and three million that keep Torah and mitzvot, not necessarily all of them have full Emunah. Your son is one of them that has actually Torah and mitzvot and you're upset? You're upset your son is one in uh, eight billion. And you're upset because he's not Rabu Radiyah. Is something wrong with you. So, let's put things where they belong. First and foremost, if he's gifted, keep your mouth shut. Why put Aynara on him? Why putting stupidity in your own head? Number two, if you keep telling the kid, you're gifted, you're gifted, you're gifted, you could potentially cause him to become lazy. That's why there is a, you know, there's a Gemara that talks about how there's an angel that teaches you the entire Torah when you're still in your mom's belly. So, before the baby is born, an angel, that same angel hits him on the lip and he forgets everything. Now it's still in him, but he has to learn it all over again. That's why sometimes a Jew will look, learn Torah and they like, wait, I remember this, but he never learned it. So that's because he's in essence, it's all in him already and it's just that he forgot it. So now, sometimes it's happened several times in recent generations, the most recent times that I know of, happened maybe about 40 years ago. 40, maybe 50 years ago. um, There was a kid that was actually born remembering the entire Torah. There was actually a kid that was was in the same school as uh, Rav Nisim Yagin. So almost 70 years ago, 70 something years ago. um, They were in the same school. And that kid was born, he remembered the entire Torah. So the teacher went in, you know, first grade or whatever it was, and the kid continued saying the entire Torah by heart. And he said, Abayah says, and he continued saying the entire Gemara by heart. He said, Mishnah, everything they started saying the first two words, he said the entire thing by heart. So in the time of Yislim uh, of, uh, again, he says that he kept it and he he still, he lives in Netanya, I think still to this day. The other one that happened more recently, like maybe 30-40 years ago, whatever it was, the Chachamim didn't want him to, 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 uh, to keep it. They saw that it's not beneficial for him and they made him forget it. Point being is that the reason why they made him forget it, even though I think it would be the greatest proof in the world that the Torah is real, whatever, they have their own wisdom and that's fine. That's, you know I'm not going to doubt them. But the point is, is that it's a... Um, if someone learns that their fear was that if someone already knows the entire Torah by heart they're not going to want to fulfill the mitzvah of toiling of toiling in a Torah and working hard to learn more because he already knows everything what is he learning then he knows the whole thing by heart what is he going to teach him again he knows it so he's not going to fight to learn more it can make him someone that potentially could be you know if he doesn't have fire in him could potentially be a, a big waste so that's why they, they didn't want it to continue happening so the point being is that If a parent keeps telling their kid, you're gifted, you're gifted, you're gifted, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, yes, it's good to give them some confidence, but overdoing it, you could potentially make the kid lazy. Because he's going to get into his own mind, I'm so good, I don't even need to study. I'm so good, I'm so smart, I don't even need to study, why should I do it? That's also one of the bad things, for example, but in sports, I remember that uh, I used to play football in high school, uh, and uh, there was a couple of kids that had talent. Were really talented. They were very fast, very big, very this. And, you know, people would tell them that. And they were the worst kids on the team. Why were the worst kids on the team? They never wanted to come to practice. Because they said, listen, everybody's giving me so many compliments. They already tell me that the colleges want me. They already tell me that this is it. And those kids ended up becoming the biggest losers on the team. They were good players. They, were they had natural born talents. But they became the biggest losers in life. And the reason why is because people told them too many things. Too many compliments. To the point that they... So, they don't have to work for it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, over overcomplimenting is also a bad thing. What else? Given what the, uh, the Akhamim consider respectable because of the attire for Jewish men. Mm-hmm. So, along those lines, what would be considered modest versus immodest? For men? I mean, a man needs to. In general men and women need to wear loose clothing they shouldn't wear clothes that's too tight Um, so in general most men clothing until this last couple of years have been loose-fitting so that's one loose-fitting clothing so you know it's it's in general regardless of whether it's a man or woman it's even more so for a woman obviously second thing is to look respectable is that if let's say for example you are to meet a king of flesh and blood you'd look respectable enough to meet him. Okay, you don't necessarily need to always wear the best suit, because you can't wear your best suit every single time, but you'd look respectable enough where you don't think you just came out of the garbage. Unless that's your job. If you're at work, you're at work. But outside of that, outside of your work, if that's your work, you look respectable. Uh, so in today's world, and it's been so already for probably two centuries, suits have been the, uh, the clothing for men that represented respect and represented uh, honor. It has nothing to do with gleam. It's just the world has evolved. In the Middle East, until recent generations, it used to be like the turban and things like that. If you still live there, you should wear those. that. If you live in the Western world and the rest of the world that's wear suits, then you wear suits or you at least wear a uh, dress shirt and dress pants. In general, I mean, it's allowed for a man to wear short sleeves. Not necessarily tank top, but just short sleeves. In general, it's allowed. Um, but Again, there's a time and a place for it If you're praying or or you're learning You should do it with full sleeves If you're just hanging around the house And you want to wear short sleeves You can, you can, it's not forbidden If you want to be extra holy Then you don't, you know, it depends depends on a different person But overall, it should be You should look respectable in front of At all times, you know, if you were in front of a king of kings um so that's, that's one important thing. Um, make sure that you're clean in general. A lot of sometimes people forget to clean their clothes or clean themselves. Make sure that they have good hygiene. They brush their teeth. They take showers. You know they, they're, they're clean. They're not a chilu Hashem where sometimes you have people think that it's a mitzvah to be smelly. They don't take a shower the whole week. They go to mikveh once a week and it's disgusting. Aside from it being disgusting for other people that sit next to them to experience, it's disgusting in the eyes of Hashem because it's a Chilu Hashem. It makes the Torah look disgusting. It makes the Torah look like the Torah is telling to be smelly. So, if you were in the times of Elisha ben Avuya when people didn't necessarily take showers every day and that body odor wasn't necessarily the uh, the same thing as it was today, it's different. But in the world today, it's not acceptable. So, you also have to acclimate to the things that are permissible, adapt to the things that are permissible and stay away from things that are not permissible. There are certain things that are permissible, certain things that are not permissible. You know, so it's, it's, it's important to use common sense. It's important to see and ask your rabbi based on what their knowledge is, based on what the Gdoleador have said. Uh, And most important thing, I believe, as far